Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today on the show, we're going to do our listener mailbag, get to as many questions as possible. Make sure if you want your question answered on the mailbag, leave a five-star review and drop your question in there. We're also joined by GMFB's Peter Schrager on today's show. Should be a fun interview with him. And then also at the back end, interviews with former Ohio State linebacker Justin Hilliard and former North Dakota State tackle Dylan Radins. Let's get it. Watch the PFF NFL Draft Show live on PFF.com starting the April 29th, covering every round with live reaction and analysis from Chris Collinsworth, PFF's team of draft analysts, myself, Mike Renner, Eric Eager, Sam Monson, Steve Palzolo, guest appearances from Richard Sherman, Al Michaels, Darius Butler, should be quite the time. Definitely go to every single round. We're going to do every single round on PFF.com. And before you do, go get the latest draft guide. 2021 NFL Draft Guide is finally out. 300 player profiles. Subscribe to PFF Edge or Elite to get access. Subscribe to PFF's Elite Annual Subscription using promo code ACTION to receive a year of Elite Subscription Access and one year, 365 days, of Action Pro Subscription Access for just $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription, offering tailor-made to make avid and new betters better. This is a limited time offer that is currently only made available now through the end of the draft. This offer only applies to first-time Elite Annual subscribers. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions, like when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these decisions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Off the rip, there's no way to start this podcast without bringing up White Claw Surge. Ooh. White Claw Surge is going to be 3% more alcohol, so from 5 to 8% alcohol. And it's going to completely radicalize or change the game this summer. It's going to change the game. I mean, we had 6%. What do you mean, is it going to change the game? We had Natty Lights at 6%, Natty Light Seltzers. And we had the Bud Light Platinums at 8% already, right? The Bud Light Platinums are 8% seltzers. They're actually fairly tasty. Now, White Claw Surge could be a different animal, but will be will be a different animal. Probably tastes a little bit better. I trust with this much sort of R&D time that they've figured it out. But I'll just say this. I like the 5%. Why? The, uh, the, fi- uh, the 5% I can drink from noon to midnight at a consistent pace without blacking out. 8%, that takes me to about 6 p.m., and I'm, and I'm going to have a bad time. You just can't after. start at noon. It's, uh, what okay, else what about this? What about this? What about this? A surge start, white claw finish. Start with the surges at 8%, get to a 10. I, I guess surge Come is back like, down with the 5. If you weren't like in the, it's more like you have these on hand. If you weren't really in the mood to do anything, and then all of a sudden like the mood hits and it's 8 p.m. And you're like, oh, maybe I am in the mood. Or, or you flip it. So usually when we're drinking from 12 to 12 a.m., 12 to 12 drinking sessions. It starts with beard eye and a ton of drinking games. You save the 5% for those. And then when you're ready to turn it on, you break out the surge. Twist the knob. You twist the knob and you yeah, turn it uh, to 11. I, I am. An, I do want to have, I do want to try them. I'm very 
curious to try one. I'm Although I will say, that you're not I, that found, I found the best seltzer already last weekend, and oh, it is yeah. a local seltzer. I was floored. The Braxton Brewing Company is the local brewery. They had they put out a seltzer like two years ago called Vive Seltzers that were probably the worst seltzers I've ever had, objectively. Trash. They weren't good. Undrinkable. I don't think I finished I, one. I, I can concur. They, they're they were so bad. They were bad. Subpar. I never finished one. So we go to Braxton on Friday, meet up with Tresh and Ben. Ben Lindsay. What are you doing? You work with him. I kind of just remember his last name for some reason. Ben Lindsay. And at Braxton, I'm like, "Eh, whatever, I'll try this because I don't like craft beer The Vive Punch Series. Vive Punch Series, this new flavor pack. First one I get, phenomenal. The original Fruit Punch. Second one I get, also incredible, pineapple flavor. I'm like... They're both like working their way to the top five seltzers I've ever had. Third one I get, borderline top five, but still the fact that three of them hit as hard as they did. And the last one's coconut. Not a big coconut guy, but I still liked it. The best flavor pack I've ever had. So I'm, I'm all in on these so much so that I tweeted at Braxton afterwards. And I was like, yo, these were sick. Trying to kind of hopefully establish a relationship. With yeah, these. Braxton, if you want to send us some, we'll change our tune. We'll do whatever the fuck you want. But this we'll is a call out to Braxton. I'll get a tattoo of Braxton. Yeah. There's no chest. change in my tune. I, I am in on these. These are what I want to drink this summer, but I just need them for free. It's going to be a White Claw Surge Vive Punch summer, and it's just going to be a nonstop, relentless thing. That same night we hung out with Ben Lindsay and Anthony Tresh, though, we were also playing hockey. Ben Lindsay, objectively, the worst hockey player i've ever seen so hockey's the one with the quarter if you don't know the game fucking look it up but i definitely definitely remember him being pretty bad at that game all right the other thing we wanted to talk about at the top here before we just spend the entire time talking about how much what alcohol we're drinking this summer um we did we got some feedback on our draft results oh yes and everyone liked your team more and probably rightfully (laughs) so i think in hindsight i went all in on the positions because here's the thing i was like yeah i'm gonna get the best weapons in the draft like it's a deeper class at weapon than it is at offensive line and some of the yeah. other positions I overlooked. Someone responded, and I think this is a great re- re- remark. I should have gone Kyle Pitts and Christian Barmore, and then I should have went Trayvon Morick. Like, just go after the ones that aren't deep, and that way you come at it with, like, the best players in each one. I think it really – the highlight of it was, or like, the exclamation point of why your team was better is I drafted the first two pass rushers, and your pass rush still looked a little bit nicer. Like, that's – again, I, I – I, misuse of resources on my end. I like the yeah. weapons, but after that, it was kind of meh. Yeah. You were talking a big game about your Catan prowess and then couldn't even play a stupid – what kind of game would that be called? A little uh, choose-your-own-adventure there. Yeah. It was kind of Ouch. trash. I still don't like the the design of it. It's, like, not a pure mock draft. You're not, like, drafting for talent. You're drafting for, like – you're drafting for lack of depth at certain positions, trying to game. You're kind of it's too much, too much gaming the system in that one. Anyway, congrats. Uh, it's called the draft, Austin. That's I'll tip how it cap. works. Tip your cap. All right, let's get into these questions here. This one, first one here. And remember, like I said at the top, if you want your question answered on the mailbag episodes uh, after the long rant about drinking alcohol in the summer, please leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts and drop your question in there. All right, this is from Fox Point Jets fan. Genuinely curious about the pedestrian Nico Collins pre-analysis. From published accounts, he acquitted himself well at the Senior Bowl, winning more than his share of the one-on-ones, and as someone that sat through every gut-wrenching 2019 Michigan snap, with the exception of the Notre Dame game, I can vouch for the fact that Nico is the best playmaker when not criminally utilized when not criminally underutilized. I'd also wager that Shea Patterson's deep ball and mid-range actually doesn't help the analysis much. At a legit 6'4", with the ability to separate, why a four fifth round grade? Please enlighten. So it would differ in my accounts of the 
separation ability, the acquittal at Senior Bowl. 50% of his reps we have him as for winning at the Senior Bowl. It's not particularly sudden. I don't think he runs a great hitch, like coming to a stop. Um, not Stop start is not particularly great. He is a better prospect than DPJ. I like him a lot better than Donovan Peoples-Jones. was not a fan of his coming out. I thought he was just an athlete playing wide receiver. I, I think Nico Collins is far more than that. I think he ended the final board is going to be just outside the top 100 at PFF, like 104, I want to say, is where he ends up on the PFF final board that drops next week. Make sure to go check it out. And I just I, – I wish we would have seen him more this year because, I mean, like that was – the progression of a guy year on year. I wish we would have seen more of him. But like at the Senior Bowl, I was not super impressed. He is a contested catch, going to be more of a contested catch mold guy. And I didn't think he was particularly physical. Like that's not how he wins. He wins more as a speed guy. Like that's that's kind of how his game is and was at Michigan. So just a little worried about that. But like I, I do think maybe I am maybe I am underselling him. I, I do like him as a prospect still. Just there's a ton of wide receivers in this class. Fair enough. All right, let's jump to three, three, lie. What do you need to see from Daniel Jones to know he is the guy? Also, what do you think of Noah Gray in the late rounds or Nico Collins? Another Nico Collins question. I love the Nico Collins question. So we just answered the Nico Collins part. Consistency from Daniel Jones and high end. Like he's, the amount of high end games, even we've seen from where it's like 350, three tutties, few and far between. Doesn't happen a lot on his tape. But you just haven't seen it from him. So I think both. Consistency and high end. That like, needing take, to see that from a quarterback. Take care of the football in some high end games. Like take care of the football better and then have some high end games. Yeah. I mean, his best play is probably that big run where he fell, right? I mean, that yeah. might be Daniel Jones. And he had that game where like absolutely like came back, I think of what, against Tampa Bay, one of the highest graded games we've ever seen from a quarterback under pressure ever. I remember doing a um some research for NFL media and they were talking about like, well, that's when I really felt like Daniel Jones had, you know. A chance to turn it around, chance to you know outlive or outshine his pre-draft analysis, and like that was legitimately an outlier. What he did under pressure in that game, I think that comeback win was absolutely absurd, and he's never done it again. And no quarterback has either. So um, interested to see some more consistency from Daniel Jones um, for sure. No, Gray's one of my favorite late round tight ends. He's undersized, sadly, six three two forty, but he's athletic, can run routes, but like the size actually does come into play. He really is not quite your. So he's really is that tweener guy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But at four six two, at that size, he had a sub seven three cone. He loved that. He loved but, to see a sub seven three cone. I just firmly a tweener. You're not going to line this guy up in line. He, he pretty much was a slot for Duke anyway. All right, this is from Shaplito. Shaplito is a longtime listener of the podcast. He's sent in multiple questions. I think he sent me a handful of DMs as well. Big shout out to Shaplito for consist- consistently listening to the pod. Why is Trayvon Grimes not getting any love? I know he didn't produce much at Florida, but he's a big athletic guy who has played some good corners in college. Before you start and answer that first question, a lot of the, re- the corners I've talked to in the SEC also bring up Grimes as a guy really? that's tough to go against. Yeah, Really? Mm-hmm. Because he looked so stiff at the senior bowl. So just unable to get out of his breaks. He just can't sink. He's a tall dude, 6'4", 220, and just could not. And, like, that's didn't have much production either on tape. So, yeah, I just can't get on board with that. Honestly, it's UDFA grade for us. UDFA grade for Trayvon Grimes. His second question, what's your guys' opinion of Sean Davis, safety from Florida? He seems kind of rangy, but was wildly inconsistent at UF. I kind of like him. Um, I, I think he's one of the better box but i think he can play like box slot too i just didn't love him just 
like you said, wildly consistent. Yeah, like I didn't love him on the back end. Like he's kind of just doesn't see stuff super quickly. So I don't, I don't think he's terribly rangy, but like in short area quicks, but he's exceptional at that. Really uh, explosive, like finisher to ball carriers, that sort of thing can affect the catch point. Can I think he had almost a forty inch vertical at his pro day. So. I think he's like a fourth, fifth round, nice option as a box safety kind of guy. Fair enough. Big Florida guy, Shaplito. All right, this was from Steven Gidley. Yeah, Gidley. My question would be, who are your favorite late round guys like Geno Stone and Jawan Jennings last year? Also, please don't move up to the NFL, Steve. Like, like Steve, Steve did two for one. Wouldn't be the same if Tresh took over. Yeah, don't move up. You're not moving up. Move. We're not fucking locked in, brother. Not going anywhere. Don't you guys worry. This pairing... Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, this we're energy? trying to get a Braxton sponsorship. Exactly. Yeah. We're trying to get a Braxton sponsorship. And it's smelling we salt need. sponsorship. Ooh. We get the salts. We get the soda. The soda. And then the it's beer. cooler to keep them in. Oh, man. We are, we're cleaning up. He's cleaning up. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. My favorites. Here we go. I, I wrote down a bunch. I wrote down one at every position group, actually, I think. Oh, let's go. Besides defensive tackle. No, wait. Did I write down for defensive tackle? All right. Cornerback. Take Allen, obviously. UCF guy. We love him. Safety. Ardarius Washington. TCU. Don't think he's sneaking into the day two. Just no one's going to draft safety that small. Linebacker, Justin Hilliard, Ohio State. So few snaps on his tape. And yeah, he ran a little slow at his pro day, but I still think he's and can play linebacker. the other drills the weren't great either at his pro day. I still keep playing He's on the podcast today, actually. I'll talk to him about it. Patrick Johnston, defensive end. Two-lane guy. One of the best, one of the most polished pass rushers in this class. I think he could be a legit bull rusher at the NFL level as well. Defensive tackle, Bobby Brown, Texas A&M. He had a really good pro day also, Bobby Brown. Um, junior coming out. He's my favorite like later round run defender. Feel good about that guy. Um, offensive side of the ball, interior offensive line, Drake Jackson, Kentucky. Kind of a zone center, but he's improved every single year of his career there. Four-year starter. Um, let's see, wide receiver. I will go with Dax Milne, BYU kid. Great route runner. Gets off the line really well. Just a limited athlete. But not like so limited that I don't think he can get by at the NFL level. I think he's still. I think his comp in the draft guy is Brian Hartline. There you go. That's what you're getting. Running back, Chris Evans, Michigan. I love this guy. The fact that he couldn't see the field at Michigan, that's not an indictment of Evans. That's Michigan's coaching staff. They stink. You heard it right here. Holy shit. <laughs> this is just my homer as I'm coming through. Michigan. No wonder you guys can only beat Notre Dame in a pouring rainstorm. But yeah, Chris Evans. Really good receiver. He tested out exceptionally well at his pro day. Um, he's a former track guy. I think in high school he's a big track guy. Yeah. Noah Gray, tight end. We just touched on him. And then quarterback. Don't even think about drafting one late round. It's not going to happen. Fair enough. Not not a Davis Mills guy? Okay, that's not a late rounder. He's going to go He's gonna go top 32. Yikes. Yikes. All right, this is from Mason Gardner 2. I think trades back in the draft are basically always a good move. What is the worst one in the last decade? And is that only because the exact player... Was t- uh, because of the exact player taken in that spot. Yeah, I mean, like the Bills traded back out of Patrick Mahomes. The Browns traded out of Deshaun Watson. Man, think of that Browns draft. What it could have been if they got Miles Garrett and then Deshaun Watson at twelve. Yikes! They'd still need a quarterback now. But uh, no, you're always getting surplus though, according to the PFF value chart. Like, there's never we haven't seen trades where you don't get surplus value. It just like doesn't happen. That's why we advocate trading back. I mean, I think it gets, and it goes <laughs> yeah. back to a simple just in terms of like pure draft pick value. 
and it's as simple as you're getting more players. Like how how good does one player have to be to be as productive as the multiple players you'll receive in the trade down? Like how think of how good a single player has to be. And as long as you're still receiving like top 50, top 75 picks, like those guys are going to come in and have opportunity to be 800 snap a season starters. And those guys, like 800 to 1,000 snap starters, those guys are going to offer value to your team. If you play that much, you're going to offer value. And there is one thing to be said about knowing that talent like the Miami Dolphins, they're trading back up six because they know how good Jamar, Jamar Chase, Cal Pitts, whatever. Like, they know those guys are special. And and they are. And, like, if they fail in the NFL, it's not going to be because they weren't good enough. But it, you do have to recognize that there are reasons guys fail in the NFL that are outside of talent. Yeah. And that happens somewhat frequently, whether it's injuries, whether it's off-field, whether it's the fact that maybe you just couldn't get a quarterback that could throw them the ball. Yeah. Or put them in that situation. So th there are reasons outside of purely just talent that guys fail. So be even just being less certain in your evaluation, your ability to evaluate talent, but also be less certain in talent's ability to make impacts on the football field. This is from Bormy99. Do you guys think that last chance you star, Rakeem Boyd, has a chance of making it to the NFL this year. He had a decent 2019 season in the SEC. 2020, he dealt with injuries. He said he probably will not be drafted, maybe as a free agent. Also, by the way, do you guys like uh, Last Chance You? So, Boyd, I don't see it. I, I, I honestly thought he would test better. Like, I thought his biggest attribute was he had some big plays on his tape. Thought once he got out in the open field, he could run. But then he ran a 4-7 as pro day. Yikes. Big yikes. Pro day 4-7 is not good. Uh, especially for running back. So I don't think so because he's really stiff on tape. You cannot make guys miss. Um, last chance you, I watched the first one. I watched the first season. It was interesting. The one with the, the Florida State quarterback transfer or whatever that was like super fast. But I don't know. It just kind of seemed repetitive. I think I started watching second one and I'm just like, ah, that's all right. Uh, big fan of last chance you or no? That's what I just said. Oh, sorry. Uh, my brain's fried. <laughs> Do you watch last chance you? Uh, the only one I've, I watched the first season was sick, and then I watched the one with Laney College because Laney College is in Oakland. Okay, I yeah, that's that. exactly what I did. Yeah, and I don't think I finished the Laney College one. The Laney College coach was also actually like cool. Like he wasn't like yeah. Like the first season was, was like, like oh a, my god, this guy Sally coach. Yeah, you would expect like a California. Also had a sick ass stash. Like, I don't know if uh, Quinn wants to throw a, a, a screenshot of him or an image of the Laney College coach from Last Chance too, but that stash is phenom. All right. Going to Mike's girlfriend that had chlamydia. That's his name. I can't. I can only read what it says. I can only read what it says. Okay. She didn't have chlamydia. The doctor did. And she wasn't my girlfriend. Fair enough. enough. Oh, that's the big. That's the thing you're so. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're so upset about. Whoa, whoa, whoa! That was not my girlfriend. <laughs> Come on, guys. My question. Oh, I got a funny story about her though. Also, that right, I cannot wait. tell on the pod. Maybe a couple surges in. We'll get to it. Yeah. All right, Mike. We got to drink on the podcast in the summer. That was the question about that. If uh, Okay, interesting. All right, my question is about the Lions. Almost every mock that I've seen has the Lions taking receiver or Micah Parsons. Obviously, both receiver and linebacker are huge needs, but do you think corner at seven is a possibility? Interesting. They have a big need there as well. At this time, their only corners are Akuda, Amani Oruwarie, and Mike Ford. I kind of like corner for them, a little bit. Here's how I feel about this cornerback class, especially at seven. It's that there's a tier of like four. Mm-hmm. You're going to draft one at seven, and then there's going to be a guy who goes like 23. And I'm not sure there's that big a difference to them on tape. The other thing, too, is it's that like last year's tackle class. Yeah. Where it's like you can draft Andrew Thomas at four, or you could draft Tristan Wirfs at 13. And there's no discernible difference in terms of quality. 
So the other thing too is like who you'd have to pass on, move considering back. that the quarterback's going to be like off the board. Like four quarterbacks probably go. You're going to have to pass on a Sewell or one of the top yeah. blue chip receivers. Like I don't think you want to do that. I don't think yeah. you have any of the corners really in that blue chip territory. <laughs> no, they really aren't as good as the receivers are. Penny Sewell in his draft class. Fair enough. All right. This is from Howie Mandela. Question: What teams would be good? Would be a good fit for Trey Smith, the Tennessee interior offensive lineman, given that he is he has the versatility to play guard and tackle, and has played in different schemes at Tennessee. I think he's guard, firmly a guard at the next level. Um, I would love to see him in a duo heavy scheme, duo power, whatever. That's his him hitting guys' hips on deuce blocks, monster. So teams that run that the most: Bucks, Ravens, Rams. Titans, Colts, Giants. The teams that would obviously then probably still need a guard. Giants among those. But I mean, Ravens it doesn't even matter. Those. Need, who cares about need? I mean, Trey Smith's going to go, what, day two, day three? Yeah. So, like, They're I mean, around. at that point, you're just investing in the offensive line with a guy that fits your scheme. Yeah. I think. I'm just saying, like, for the teams that really would want to go. So, like, yeah. Giants. Giants would be a cool fit. Giants would be a cool fit. My column. All right. This is from Hey Andy, 23. Um, in the later rounds, if you were a GM, would you prefer to draft an insane athlete? We've had this question before. With an, ins- an insane athlete with underwhelming college production or an incredibly productive player with some questionable measurables? And does that answer change based on the differing positions and why? Man, going back and looking at it's like guys who succeed at that in those rounds, whether it's Eddie Jackson, the fifth, George Kittle. Trent Brown, like you would think, oh, in those later rounds, or even like Tyree Kill, in those later rounds, you'd be like, oh, it's not going to be the big school guys. If they're good enough, they get scouted. But then it's like, oh, you know, Trent Brown went to Florida, Kittle went to Iowa. Like those guys should have been Jackson, obviously Alabama. So I, I would would inherently think to lean like small school guys. That's who are the ones who probably get undervalued at that point in time. But just going back through, there's no real rhyme or reason shall we say to who who ends up hitting like george kittle fantastic athlete trent brown didn't test great athletically just as massive dude eddie jackson similar is not like anything special athletically i don't know i i I think it's still a case by case it's still just hey trust the board baby but again don't don't draft bad athletes is what i would say if they're really are not good athletes don't don't even think about it at that point the other thing I'd add to that too, and this might be a cop out answer, but I do think a lot of the guys that pan out that get drafted in those rounds also have like opportunity to see the field early, you know, because you also need to like you you need opportunity at a certain point to like see if they have it. You know, guys that come in and don't have that opportunity to see the field, I do think that um, whether that special teams, or whatever, it's like injuries can do the rail hey, that kind of stuff. You create your own opportunity. Uh, maybe, maybe that's, you do. Maybe you do. That's beta mentality. <laughs> whatever that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, this is from George Arianas. Really enjoy the show. What do you guys think about having offensive linemen and maybe defensive linemen bench 315 at the combine instead of 225? With many offensive linemen pulling up, you know, putting up 20 plus reps at 225, I feel like 315 will give a more accurate representation of strength. And in general, is benching at the combine really that important? Uh, it's not that important. And honestly, I. 315 seems like more of a liability, like getting guys hurt. You yeah. Know? 225 is probably the good. Have you heard that of... story from Bruce Gretkowski? No. He was 
preparing. So it was the season after like he had a couple of lights out games with the Raiders. Yeah. And then he was expected to be the starter, I think, the next year. And then they brought in like Jason Campbell or something. Okay. And he was training, benching, and tore his pack. Oh, shit. And like then was like not given like the full opportunity to be the starter the following season. It kind of fucked him. Like, dude, benching at certain positions is definitely like, you don't want to be ripping, roaring rapids. He said he was trying to like max out or something. I was like, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce. That's Bruce in a nutshell, man. That's Bruce in a nutshell. But yeah, like I think that's liability reasons. I would say that's not going to happen or like that wouldn't happen. Because even like you can tell if a guy really is strong. He's going to throw up 40. He's going to throw up 40. And like even then it doesn't really matter if like that's more literally just chest and tricep strengths. Yeah. That is not. Like Tristan Wirfs did 24 bench reps, and he's probably the strongest offense tackle in the league because it's so the much lower more. Half. Yeah, exactly. So much and more. And explosiveness. Did you see when he's like warming up with like over 400 pounds on the hang claim? Like the guy's a monster. I know. All right. This is from Kyle Ditter. Can you guys talk about Grace McCall? If he is a player to be, is he a player to be excited about in 2022 or 2023? So Grace McCall is the quarterback for Coastal Carolina. Kind of makes me think about Zach Wilson, small school guy and very talented, but may fly under the radar because of where he goes to school. Yeah. So one, he is athletic, make a lot of plays outside the pocket, can run, but he is 6'3", 200. He is still very skinny. Zach Wilson. Cornerback position. Quarterback. Zach Wilson 6'2", 214 when he came out. With a lot of water. Yeah, but still. He, he is skinnier than even Zach Wilson, and he has a bit of a noodle. Not a strong arm. So I, I'm not sure he's your breakout prospect anytime soon. He really does not have that level of arm strength. Pool noodle for an arm. You just hate to see it. You do. Let's see from now, Conell1024. What do you guys think would be the Jags' ideal draft? I know there's a lot of holes on this team, especially with quarterback. Until Trevor. Did you hear that the Jacksonville Jaguars already give Trevor Lawrence the playbook? Ooh. They did you not. Hear? Yeah. That's he already nice. has the playbook. Um Especially with quarterback until Trevor, off the tackle, tight end, edge, and slot corner. So based on positional value, BPA, what do you think would be their best haul? These three questions are all about the Jaguars. Oh, we're going to put them all together. Love it, love it, love it. All right, this is from Devin Alvarado. In my opinion, first, the optimal first four picks, realistically, for the Jags are as follows. Trevor Lawrence, J.C. Horn, who at 25, that'd be be sick if they get J.C. Horn at 25. Um... Either one of the three smaller shifty receivers. That's Elijah Moore, Rondo Moore, or Kadarius Tony at 33. That's also sick. <laughs> Love this guy. And for the last one, I take either tight end from Penn State or Miami. So Pat Fryermuth or Brevin Jordan or the Oklahoma Edge defender, Ronnie Perkins. That guy's that guy's drinking the Kool-Aid, man. That sounds like a sick-ass draft. Uh, last one here on the Jags is from Friend of the Pod 69. Should the Jaguars follow what they've apparently done in recent drafts by taking guys early with amazing traits but needing development early than... S- early than safe guys on day two and day three or should they plan simply bpa with the roster or who do you think they should get at 25 in the second also you guys should drink on the pod if you don't already there's Deal. your drink on the pod um my thought about the tight is a people suggested tight ends my thoughts on that are can you even name clemson's tight end from this past year like i don't think you really china's just not if you're if you're really not going to bring a lot to the table as a receiver you don't really need one and don't need to feature one in your offense so you definitely don't need one if the answer is Chris going Manners. to be. You don't need one if the answer is going to be a Fryermuth or a Jordan, a guy that doesn't legitimately like transcend yeah. the position. Fryermuth's all right though. Like, okay, if that's your last pick of those. So they have 25, 33, and forty-five after pick one. One's going to be T. Law. My ideal here is what I said: Christian Barmore, twenty-five. 
if he falls there, DT. That'd be sick. They're investing in that D-line. Love that pick. Fit. 33, Elijah Moore. 45, Elijah Molden. Safety slot, versatility. Fill him in either one. Profit. I think that's hot. I like that a lot. Elijah Moore at 33, if he's there, man. I think he will be. That'd be sick. That'd be really sick. I think so. I I got a take on Elijah Moore that I think I'm going to drop a little later on here. Mm. A couple more questions. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like later on like the week. I was like, okay, what a tease, dude. <laughs> um, all right. This next question is from Kevin King is trash. Yikes. This is going to be a Packers fan. Can we, the listeners, get Mike to do a live reading of the gloomy advertisement from Western Southern <laughs> that you guys always play? Inside, include the music if possible. I believe the listeners deserve this. My treat. Uh, my dream is for Dr. Eric Eager to do it live as well. Also, who can speak more words per second between Austin and Ian? Ooh. That's a good question. I can bet. And no, I can't do a Western Southern live read for you. Wow. No. You just turn them down like that? Not a paid monkey. <laughs> Alrighty. Kevin King is trash. <laughs> that said, live read you. really is like pretty doom. Like every time I it's like, what is he what does he start off saying? No it's one just, knows the road ahead. <laughs> it's just so it is tough. Western Southern though, we shout out to sponsors. Western Southern oh, oh, love. Yeah. No one does know the road ahead. You know, that's a fact of the matter, dude. No one knows the road ahead, especially in my life, dude. My dad hasn't known the road ahead. My dad hasn't known the road ahead since he was like 10 years old. So, yeah, maybe he needs life insurance. Next thing you know. That's why you don't have a car now. What a transition. Uh, Let's go to Titan Up 2020. Would you rather have, would you rather have which receiver group? Jesus. A, AJ Brown, Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys. B, A.J. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Elijah Moore. I said B here because in A's case, you're stuck with Adam Humphreys on the inside. You can't play outside. To me, here's my take on Elijah Moore. I think he could play outside. I mean, he is 5'9", 180. He is very similarly sized to guys like Brandon Cooks, Tyler Lockett, Emmanuel Sanders, who have all succeeded at a high level on the outside. He has... I mean, testing-wise, he was almost damn near, if you go back and look at Emmanuel Sanders' combine, almost identical to Elijah Moore's. It's 40, three-cone, verticals. Like, he just has one inch on him. And I don't think that one inch is why Emmanuel Sanders was Emmanuel Sanders. So I I think that's a more versatile receiving core, even though I I really don't love Josh Reynolds as a wide receiver option, but that's just me. Fair enough. All right, now to Kawasaki Man 100. Hey guys, Colts fan here. What is your guys' opinion of Devontae Smith's fit with the Packers? I was listening to the pod one day and the idea just hit me and I immediately fell in love with the fit. I'm not even a fan of the team. I think if the Packers made the move from 29 to say the Eagles at 12, the Lions at 7, Panthers at 8, he had the Eagles at 6 originally, but maybe Miami at 6, they could have a shot at Devontae Smith. My trade proposal would be number 29, Jordan Love, especially in the case for the Panthers. Obviously, this came after or before the Sam Darnold trade and Zadarius Smith, as well as their second or third round pick in this year's draft. I would love your guys' analysis on the fit and any of your own judgments as changes to the potential trade. I mean, I hate that you brought this up because, yeah, he would be awesome there. Like, I, Yeah, I'm already thinking about it, and I, I'm they'd excited. win a Super Bowl. Yeah. No, they just fun. add them onto that roster, they win the Super Bowl. I have no doubt in my mind. But – that's so much to give up. Like it's you can't give that up for one position player, especially when like Zadarius Smith's involved. Jordan Love, whatever, get him out of there at this point. But 
no, it's it's not. How about can I can I change the trade and get your opinion again? Yeah. Number twenty nine overall, Jordan Love, two future second round picks. To go up to just to get Devontae. To get Devontae. Yeah, we're in. I'm in. Let's do it. Kawasaki man, let's make it happen. Get on the phone. Get on the phone. All right, this is from nickname four oh two nine. I know the odds of this is slim to none, but what are the chances that the Falcons land the Falcons and Texans doing a trade for Matt Ryan and a fourth for Deshaun Watson and the fourth overall pick for Deshaun Watson? Aren't the cap hits similar? And if not, how much would an additional draft pick help these odds? So the the cap hits they don't work it's like not that. Like how it works. So if a guy leaves your team, his signing bonus, the unprorated signing bonus, because when you sign, the signing bonus goes equally over every year of your contract. The unprorated signing bonus all comes due in that year on your cap alone. Mm-hmm. So you're taking a massive hit to trade Matt Ryan right now. Literally, they can't. They yeah. can't get rid of him this year. Uh, or they, next year. They can get rid of him next year, but it'd be over $40 million. So that's, but this year literally would be, they could not fit under their cap to trade him. So Fair enough. Sadly. Plus, I don't think anyone's making calls for Deshaun Watson right now. All right, this is from King Rico six King Rico six one nine, longtime listener of the pod and a big fan. Your podcasts always make deployment work hours go by faster. Love that, man. What conferences do you associate with producing higher quality prospects at certain positions? For example, Big Ten seems to always produce really good linemen. Okay, I went through and kind of just went initial reaction. So if this is bad, tell me so. But SECs, they they got it all of it. SECs every position. It really doesn't matter. Uh, Big 10, O-line linebackers. That was the first ones that came to mind. Obviously, offensive line, Iowa, Wisconsin, linebackers, Penn State. Wisconsin's produced some good ones in recent years, too. Like I think those two, that's what I think when I think of that conference. ACC, running backs. That's where I, my mind went to. Florida State consistently has produced good running backs, even when they've sucked nuts the past handful of years. Uh, BC has produced some running back talent. North Carolina now, obviously, getting in the game. Miami. They produce running backs. That's where my head went. Big 12 quarterbacks. I don't think that one's too hot of a take with obviously Oklahoma, what they've done, whether it's, you know, Texas Tech, Patrick Mahomes. They're, they've produced some QB talent. In the Pac-12, I just said, who cares? Like, they, no one watches Pac-12. <laughs> they, they, don't, they, don't really, they don't really have, like, a calling card position. Like, what position would you think of when you think of Pac-12? Or even, like, a school in there that has a position they're kind of known for. There's I think Stanford one. has churned out probably the most talent. Stanford, some O line, some. Andrew, I mean Block. USC like had for a while, and then they hit the wall. Like they had wide receivers for like on lock for a long time, and then. Mm, Pac twelve struggling, man. Pac-12's it's hard to get struggle. people, which is wild to me. How do you get? How is it hard to get people to play on the West Coast? UCLA, USC, Oregon. Yeah. Stanford, like all those places are a dream. Like if you were from the South or from the Midwest, you're like, oh, I'm going to a Big Ten ACC school. Like, okay, take a second, take a trip. Go take a trip. Go grab a fish taco on the beach. And tell me you don't want to go play football for USC or UCLA. But, but it's more than like the support. I've always said the two best, if you're, the two best college towns in America are Austin, Texas and Columbus, Ohio. Because all there is in those two towns is your program. Yeah. Is football. It obviously depends on what your Texas interests football. are and what your incentives but, are. But like, yeah, like, you go to a place like that, you're a BMOC for a million plus city. Yeah, you know, like you're BMOC for a massive area. For those that whereas don't know if what you the go to BMOC is, is that best man on campus? Big man on campus. Big so man. you go to USC, 
No one gives a shit about USC football. You're in LA. Like you're the twentieth biggest draw in town. Fair though. You know? They Every- used to though. Reggie Bush dated uh Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Did he? Oh yeah. What a stud. You when see. he was in college. Same. All right, let's jump to the next question here. Uh, this is from Zaza Pachulia. This is a novel. Dude's fucking young. Ed, um, I don't know. I was going to say Edgar Allan Poe, but he has poetry. Regardless, my question is about WFT. I got to watch Sean Taylor play at an age, elementary slash middle school, where everything is already larger than life. And so he remains far and away my favorite player. But Chase Young is the first guy who's even started to enter that conversation. My question is, who is that guy for each of you? And who has more recently started clamoring for a place on your personal Mount Rushmore. All right, answer that question first. Reggie White is that guy for me growing up. Obviously, Brett Favre too, but like Brett Favre was still then into when I was in graduate in high school. Mm-hmm. But Reggie White growing up was just like, holy shit, this guy could throw <laughs> offensive linemen. That's not fair. And, and he really was not fair. He was yep. awesome watching him as Pack growing up. Mine are Brett Favre. I think the other one that's big for me is Steve Smith. I loved Steve Smith. Nice. I was like a huge fan every single time he played football. I was so sad when you saw him, I think he was playing for the Ravens and he tore his ACL and I was like, man, I think that might have been it. I think it might have been the last play. That still gives me chills, dude. I fucking love Steve Smith. That was an, I I liked Anquan Bolden too um, in his time. I mean, those are guys who are like, oh man, every time you watch them play, they were freaking awesome. Um, Big fan of those guys. All right, let's go to- Who has recently started claiming for a position on your Mount Rushmore? That was Hmm, tough. That is tough. I mean, Holmes is sick. I mean, we're going to- in 20 years, we were talking about Mahomes like he was God, like Michael Jordan, probably. Yeah. Like, this is how good he was. Um, so I feel that Tom way. Brady's hard to leave out of there, though. Like, Tom Brady's going to be yeah. very difficult to not bring up when you're talking about football 20, 30 years from now. I feel that way watching, like, Tyreek Hill play football, though. I'm just like, this guy's, like, Rare. how? how? Like, he's, he's, like, different than Moss. Moss is obviously, like, but the same level of just, like, everyone is the highest caliber of athlete at their respective sport. Mm-hmm. And he's at, a, at another level than everyone else still. Aaron Donald's you know? probably in that too. Aaron Donald is too, yeah. All right. But J.J. Watt was like a three-year stretch, looked like that too. This is the, his second part of his question here. And then from a Washington football fan's perspective, after watching Sean make it make the secondary his own personal playground in the mid-2000s, I think I, may, I might be one of the few NFL fans who has safety as their favorite position to watch. I'm wondering what you guys think of Trayvon Morrig at 19. He obviously not, he's obviously not Sean Taylor, and I haven't seen him going that high in many mocks, but I would love to see him roaming our secondary and feeding off the mistakes Chase and Co. are sure to force opposing quarterbacks into for years to come. So I, that was in my last mock. That's where I had him going. The, the kind of the elephant in the room, though, is Landon Collins has said on his IG, he said, not happening, my guy, about moving to linebacker, which is you don't have to necessarily move him to linebacker. You could just put him in a dime roll, and you could also tell him what to do because you could be like, hey, you're not going to be here much longer if you don't fucking do this. Like yeah. you're, you, Your contract is bloated, and honestly, even if he plays like semi-well this year, he might not be here after this year. So, don't draft with the short term in mind, but I, I like Merrick fit. I like that pick if they made it. I think I like uh, Morick to Jacksonville at twenty five as well. I think that's another yeah. fit I like a lot. Um, something uh, this is kind of random, but uh, I was talking to Divine Diablo recently. Mm-hmm. It says a lot of the teams, a bulk majority of the teams, see him moving to linebacker, and he's ready to embrace it. Ooh. Uh, I know you comped him to Barry Church in the draft guide, but he adds a couple more pounds, dude. He could be a pretty interesting linebacker. Dude yeah. plays with some thump. Um, this is from That Kid Chris. I have two 49ers questions for you guys. 
Is it fair to say the Niners did free agency right? They started off with a lot of big needs on both sides of the ball. Now, after a ton of re-signing and key signings, you can argue they only have two immediate needs. I'm not counting quarterback, slot receiver, and weirdly enough, a returner. If you're, I'm not. If one of your only needs left is returner, you are dramatically, dramatically viewing the roster. Even, yeah, yeah. You're 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 over. I mean, they have a need at corner, massive, massive corner. I'd say the fact that corner isn't even mentioned over returner is absurd. The the field. You don't love Deontay Johnson? No. Manual mostly. They filed. They filled almost every hole at key positions and are now heading back into the draft, able to draft as much as whatever they want. Second question: Am I wrong to think that Jalen Waddle will be sick in San Francisco? He's stellar after the catch and can be used inside, outside, even in the backfield, and could also be the returner. Dude, he's after Waddle for the returnability. I love it. His deep ball skills may not be fully utilized, but do you guys agree that he would be an awesome weapon for San Francisco? I like what they did in free agency, keeping a lot in house. And they could still make more plays if they cut Jimmy G, honestly, after the draft, if they like like the quarterback enough to do so. I mean, Jalen Waddle would be awesome, but they're not going to draft Jalen Waddle. Let's get real. They moved up for a QB. Although, if they who had the Galaxy Brain take, they moved up for Kyle Pitts. I like that Galaxy Brain take, but so, not enough to actually think it's ever going to happen. Waddle's also like yak machine to best best career yak of anyone yeah. over the past you know, six years they would like if they would have stayed put been happy at quarterback that would have been a viable pick for them for sure dude Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel and Jalen Waddle and then you got Jalen Hurd kind of just like bottom feeding the roster interesting stuff all right this is from J-Rad Monu I don't know if that's right why don't more teams at the end of the first round try to sneak to acquire players that will have a fifth year option on their contracts i feel like this could be worth it for players like trask or the lottery ticket players at skill positions if they need time to sit aside and learn if they pop the team gets an extra year option okay so i've talked about the change to the fifth year option before in the new cba that was signed last year here's a little more outlining of what it is so if you basically have played at all or are a starter at all over their first three years you earn the average and the new fifth year option of the third through 20th highest paid at your position. It's not a particular steal. So you better be between the third and 20th highest best player at your position. If you're going to be, you know, you better be a legit player to be getting that fifth year option one at that point. And it is now also guaranteed when it's exercised. So when you exercise it, that guy sucks. Then year four, you got to exercise four year four. That guy sucks. Year four has catastrophic injury. Doesn't matter. You're paying him that fifth year, no matter what now. It used to be it was only guaranteed for injuries. So if a guy got hurt and they couldn't play, it was still guaranteed. But now if a guy is actually, so if a guy is good, makes a Pro Bowl in his rookie contract, it's worth a transition tag amount, the the fifth-year option. And if a guy makes multiple Pro Bowls, it's worth a franchise tag amount. So, yeah, that's still a, a little below market value and should be for a lot of players, even if you're not necessarily like cream of the crop. It's still, you know, in free agency, they're going to get more. But it's not the steal that it once was outside of the quarterback, you know, for non-quarterbacks especially, where it's like you're saving a couple mil on these guys in a one-year option. That's worth – are you gonna really going to trade, you know, excess draft capital for that? I don't think so. There you have it. All righty. His second question was, who's the best – recent example of players that were really raw going into the draft and popped as NFL players outside of the quarterback position. I can't think of many super raw has tools players being stars in the NFL. And Colton Miller's your best. Bud Dupree was one too. They've never, I don't think, you know, those guys you probably raved about their upside. 
neither turned into like Khalil Mack. You know, they, mm-hmm. they you're still kind of limited, and you're never gonna. I don't think either of those guys are really like elite elite. Rashawn Gary is kind of on a similar path where like he's gotten better, could be, but I don't think you're ever going to get that true. You rave about their upside. You're never going to get a top five player in the NFL, but they could be productive players. Those are guys coming to mind that have kind of hit that, but there are some whiffs in that nature as well, obviously. Absolutely. I think it's interesting to highlight those two guys and then you're throwing, you know, Colt Miller, Sean Gary, Bud Dupree, guys that had super raw, all these tools. And while they have improved, haven't reached that like, number one or even top five players at their respective positions, but still have probably exceeded expectations in yeah. terms of like Draft these five. guys could have been busted. Yeah. But all right. From JD314, first question, taking into account Maurice Jones-Drew's player rankings, is it the best bet? Why? What? <laughs> is the best bet for the Jets to trade down and take the best player in the draft? Najee Harris seems like the only good decision. I only asked to see Austin have... Oh, I did have a mini heart attack. I didn't read that whole thing. I only asked to see Austin have a mini heart attack. Real question. Would each, would each of you guys give... Would each of you give your guys at each position the guy you're banging the table for if uh, if the dra- if they're available? All right. Let's go. Uh, quarterback, T-Law. Same. Running back, Javante Williams. Hmm. I'm going to go Travis Etienne. Wide receiver, Elijah Moore. I'm gonna bang the table for Elijah Moore too, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take away from that. I'm gonna step out of that. I'm gonna go Rashad Bateman. Okay, tight end Tommy Tremble. You're a sick motherfucker. I'm gonna yeah. go Kyle Pitts. Yeah. <laughs> offense tackle. I have one same way. Penesul. Yeah, Penesul is I think is the obvious one. Into your offensive line, Kendrick Green, Illinois. You're gonna bang. I I think I don't want to just Center. pick the top ranked guy. I, I think I definitely bang the table for Kendrick Green. I'd also bang the table for. You know, Rashawn Slater here. I mean, in, t- in terms of a, fl- I'm, I don't know if I can call him an interior offensive lineman. I think the other guy too that I saw, um, who did I saw recently? Considering oh, Dane Brugler considers who did Alex you Le- saw recently? Sorry, Dane Brugler of the Athletic considers considers Alex Leatherwood an interior offensive lineman, and I would bang the table for Leatherwood at guard. Absolutely. Gotcha. All right, defensive tackle Bobby Brown, Texas A&M. Tyler Shelvin for the bit. No, Ali McNeil, hmm. but Tyler Shelvin. Tyler Shelvin's good. I would. I would do. Tyler Shelvin's fun. All right. Edge defender, Patrick Johnson, Tulane. Late rounds, banging it. Rashad Weaver, banging him on day two. Oh, yeah. Not bang, banging the table on what day two. What are you two. doing to Rashad? Uh, linebacker, Jabril Cox. Dude, you're going to bang two. the table for Jabril Cox? On day two. I'm banging the table for Nick Bolton, Missouri. Okay. Oh, shit, that's a good one. I should have said that one. Cornerback, Asante Samuel Jr. to the Packers. Greg Newsom. I'm banging to any, any pick okay. after 20. I am banging the table for Greg Newsom. And then safety, Darius Washington. TCO. Andre Cisco, Syracuse. Let's go. Oh, man. Cool. All right. Let's go to the ghost of Mike's man bun. Bang the table. Hey, guys. Just wondering what y'all think we should do with the second round pick. This is for the Panthers. Ownership seems like they want to trade up from eight to replace Teddy Two Gloves. So if we don't send that second round pick away, what should we do with it? I would personally love Walker Little or Rondell Moore. Love the pod. Thanks, guys. So they obviously got Sam Darnold. Yep. They're probably not trading up from eight. If anything, they're trading down if a quarterback starts to fall. If you see Fields or Lance fall and the team wants to get ahead of Denver to go get a QB, they could trade down. My favorite pick for them at eight right now has been Slater. Them getting Slater at eight, I think, is my favorite pick for them but um where are you at right now and still and go i could still take advantage of a deep offensive line class because you're picking high enough in the second that you know, like leatherwood would be there maybe like dude maybe, get them both double dip yeah that's what i'm saying like i would love to take advantage of that and really build this offense up would be interesting to me slater at eight and then walker little in the second or a leatherwood in the second i think would be six so all right this is from zimrar 
not necessarily a draft question, but I've seen first-round picks go from stellar to drab after an injury, especially quarterbacks. There's some theory that's because the rehabilitation nutritionist recommend vegan diets for athletes to prevent injury going forward. Has PFF looked into how a diet affects athletes? I'm going to be keeping up with the differences between two QBs in similar situations that were recommended their, these diets. Cam Newton, who's still vegan, and Carson Wentz, who's not. It's it's just hard to get that data. You don't really have that data to find, like diet data. And it's like, are they sticking to the diet? Yeah, it's the not? thing. It's like, okay, he is a vegan, but is he slipping in some meat sometimes? Yeah, I feel like it... Your mom knows about that. Uh, Easy. But... <laughs> If you're with a team, that's some study you could do. Yeah. Obviously, like in-house, but we really just don't have that data, sadly. I think it would be interesting, something a little bit, because it'd be very difficult to say, like, how, you know, are you sticking to a strict vegan diet seven days a week? It'd be easier to track calories, like how, how calories impact certain things or certain macros or something. Like if something a little bit more, I guess, quantifiable. There, there has been that, like, pushback against, especially NFL athletes and vegan diets because the protein needed to stay at yeah. just like a you're a massive weight like you vegan diets work because you're not a normal person yeah as an nfl player yeah you, like you're, vegan you're, diets can work for preventing injuries when you're 160 175 pounds and you have like a normal body type but even the smallest of nfl players are like clinically overweight and clinically obese because you have to be to play the game and so to keep a vegan diet and say like oh that's going to prevent injuries and like keep my muscles like performing at whatever you know, elite level, I would be hesitant to do it based off of, if you're an NFL player, just based off of like outside research, because they're not, it's not like applying to you. You know who know? needs to get on a vegan diet is Tutu Atwell. <laughs> he cut some LBs, yeah. really get in the NFL, like Slim a smooth out. 145, I think it'd be, you know, who, Tyler Shelvin on a vegan diet would be interesting. How much his body would transform? Does he, how, how much, so of his intake a day, how many, how many vegetables do you think he's putting down? He's a big gumbo so, guy. There's vegetables in gumbo, celery or whatever in gumbo. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's he gets his. Dude, the story about pure, him. The story about him housing like with how much gumbo he eats, he probably gets actually more vegetables than I do. What's the most Little Caesars pizza you've ever eaten in a sitting? Can you eat more than one? I don't think that like one. I've had one. I've had one hot full ready. pizza. Yeah, one full hot pizza. I think I could probably put down a half, one and a half. Okay, yeah, I mean, I I could put down. What's the most do? you think? You one put time down? I did what, in college when I was back freshman year, I ordered the Pizza Hut had like a two pizzas in a box. They were like oh, square God. pizzas. I put that down when I, I thought I was going to have pizza for today and tomorrow. Nope, I had two pizzas for today. That would be another th fun thing to do in the summer. You're trying to house like two pizzas on the pod. Oh, dude, the eating contest on the pod? I could do it. Could be fire. All right, this is from Josh. Did I tell the eating story contest on the pod? The one where you, th I don't want to hear that one. No one wants to hear that okay. one. It's gross. It's I almost one, threw up when you told me last time. <laughs> All right, this is from Josh1284738. Which scenario fits the Dolphins better in the first round? Sewell at six and Bateman at 18. Chase at six, and then Tevin Jenkins at 18. This is my thought about it. It's like Sewell's the rarer candidate here. Mm -hmm. I'd go the Sewell one. Same. The Sewell route. Yeah, the, I would um, too. But they seem locked into the Chase route or Pitts route or whatever it is. But Smith route? But if, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. All right. This is from that rose that Mike didn't get. Ooh, cutting deep. We love oh, to see it. Training back from 21 makes too much sense for the Colts. I feel gypped, by the way. Never mind. I can't go there. Okay. Trading back. I knew we were going to go. We're not going there. Trading back from 21 makes too much sense for the Colts. What team do you think is the most likely to trade up and give Indy some much needed draft capital? And from that trade, who do you think the Colts should then target in the second round? Appreciate you guys. Appreciate all what you guys do. Saints, man. It's always the Saints. They're always the one to trade up. Mickey Loomis. Mickey Loomis. But I will say, low-key, sneaky trade up, Gannett. 
Green Bay Packers. They've done it each of the last three years to make their first round pick. Now, that was their second first rounder back in 2019 when it was Darnell Savage. But they traded up for Jair Alexander after trading down. They traded up for Jordan Love. And they traded up for Darnell Savage. Who do you think they're going to come up for? Who would they come up for there? That's a good question. I mean, maybe Greg Dusum. That'd be sick. Yeah. All right. This is from King Jung, Kim Jung Sparkle. Um, now that the Niners have traded up to three and the Falcons have kicked the van down the road with Matt Ryan's contract, is that? Oh, no. That's a typo. He meant to do can. It looks like the Falcons will will have a bidding war on their hands. Justin Fields will have his pro day on March 30th. He also has another one today, by the way, which is the last of the big four. What team will trade with the Falcons or the Jets if they keep Darnold? They don't. I think the Panthers are the most desperate to trade up and get one, but I think the Falcons would be more likely to trade with Denver, even though they look much less interested. I think Denver is definitely interested, by the way. If you were like, yeah. ah, I don't think they're, I think they're definitely interested. I, I can't imagine they're looking at this opportunity to go up and get a legit franchise quarterback, potentially franchise quarterback, and not wanting to trade up. But. Yeah, I think it's Denver. I, I do think it's Denver. I'm saying right now, Denver's going to pick fourth overall and they're going to take Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Trey Lance. You know, you know how much John Elway probably loves Trey Lance? Oh, God, dude. How much, how, how much would that offense have to change, though? I mean, do, do they have the, the horses? Uh, what? Do they have the horses to like adapt that offense quickly to Trey Lance's skill set? Because it's going to have to look a lot different. Is it? I don't think it. I think, I think they'll be fine. Really? Yeah. They're going to have to run the football one more. I want to see Trey Lance run like 10, 12 times a game. Do you know? But you wouldn't do that as rookie year, though. You don't want to throw him to the Wolves, but maybe. He's... I'm ready to throw him to the Wolves. I want him like an RG three rookie season from the kid. I want him like I want like a thousand yards rushing or something. Uh, all right, this is from John D twenty five. Hey guys, I'm confused on why Kyle Pitts' biggest pro for the draft guide is movement skills. While there are a handful of reps when he absolutely routes people, I feel like the majority of the time he went another way. Specifically with ball skills, especially when you look at the game against South Carolina, where Pitts just boxes horn out for the ball. Can you clarify why it isn't rebounding as his biggest pro? I think it's because that's a lot of tight ends. You know, a lot of tight ends can make contested catches. Mm -hmm. That's the strength for Hunter a Long. lot of guys. Yeah, exactly. Like that is why a lot of guys are appealing at tight end position. That's kind of like what makes tight end tight end. So what makes him different than other tight ends is the movement skills. That's why you feel good about drafting him wherever he's going to get drafted in the top eight picks. Mm -hmm. Is because, oh yeah, he can rebound, but he can also do the, that one thing that other tight ends can't, and that's route, like you said, route guys on the outside other tight ends can't do that so that's why all righty jumping to rwm to deep value i don't know what i don't know what that stands for after the trade what does lynch hands lynch hands i don't know john lynch and shanahan's qb board look like i'm sorry i botched that lynch hands uh i wish i knew <laughs> trust me i've texted bobby Sloak, former pffer Asking them who they're going to draft. Did he not tell no, you? No response. We oh. can make a lot. Of, <laughs> we can make I, a lot of money if you did know. I know. Right? You know. We could. I texted Bobby so. Slowick, San Francisco 49ers, who they going to draft, and he didn't respond. That's <laughs> yeah, incredible. It's like you get the it's a secret. Yeah. Straight up, like I'm not going to say go as far as people are like. Oh, maybe they don't even know. I think they fucking know at this point. Yeah, they definitely. You would be. Kind of crazy. They're making this, the decision based off Justin Fields' pro day today. What are we even doing? What's yeah. the point? So, I wish we knew. I've tried to find out. No one knows. No one knows. Nobody knows. All right, Thomas Kaler. As a New York Jets fan, tough. 
I'm curious on what the Jets do at 23 rather than at two, assuming Wilson is the pick. I personally think Tevin Jenkins would be an excellent fit, but assuming he's gone, where do you think the Jets are going? Something I don't see mocked every, anywhere, but I think would be a really good pick is Asante Samuel Jr. So he's not a really scheme fit. That's why you probably haven't seen a mock. Like what they ask him to do in Robert Salah's scheme, press three, bail, whatever. It's not like really Asante Samuel's skill set. You, you really don't want him at the line of scrimmage. That's, he's going to get thrown around. So I think that's why. Um, I, I would like to take advantage of either the edge class because I think you might be able to get one of the top guys and you're not in a position to win necessarily now so you can yeah. kind of wait out the developmental edge curve call. on some of these edge guys or even offensive line. He's a Tevin Jenkins. I would also think that's an excellent fit. I would love that fit for them. So I, I think you can't go wrong at either of those two spots. There. I think that's solid. I don't think I've seen edge mocked them consistently. I think that's a really good idea. That's like, yeah, Carl Lawson, what's better than one? What's twice as much as one? Two? Two. Nice. All right, Colin Backer. What is Zach Wilson's best team fit? And if he is drafted by the Jets, what's his ceiling? You know I hate the ceiling talk. You know I hate the ceiling talk. But it's Jets are a really good scheme fit. So Zach Wilson's best fit, that's as good as it gets. Like, you've got to do a lot of stuff similar to what he ran at BYU um, there with Michael Fleur. So going back and watching BYU's, like, offense, somewhat reminiscent of – the Packers run a lot of some similar stuff and they're very creative. So I think that that's yes, his best team fit. What's his ceiling? Shit. I mean, best, best quarterback in the NFL. There you go. That's the ceiling there. He's going to hit it. Probably not. Not a lot of no, almost no one fucking hits the <laughs> ceiling. Like that's the biggest thing. It's like, he has the arm talent, the accuracy to be the best quarterback, be the best in, the quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Could be. What's your ceiling? I'm not close to it. I haven't even begun to peak, as Dennis Reynolds would say. All right. This is from Anonymous6969. Where do you envision football going slash changing in the next three to five years, be it schematically or by rule changes or anything like that? Or if you don't like that question, what are some of the best ways to learn about offensive and defensive schemes? Man, if you don't like that question, uh, I think I call this, I just want to say hat, hand up. I call this in like 2018, jet motion, pre-snap motion. It's only going to blow up only going to be used more it's such a such a bane on opposing defenses to have to deal with to have a guy going from to to switch strengths of formation at the snap or immediately prior to the snap changes like everything about your defensive play call because yeah. it's oftentimes based on the strength of the formation what your coverage run fits that sort of thing that's only going to blow up because it just it shit it works mm -hmm. it's sound and i think you'll see more of that my take is, I think we've already seen this, but I think we're going to continue to see it over the next three to five years, just like across the board, positions getting lighter on average and faster and more athletic. I think you're seeing that at linebacker. You're seeing that at tight end for some of these guys. I think edge is a lot lighter than maybe it's been in the past. I think um, more teams buying into just speed and pure change of direction and explosiveness, maybe over just like previous size thresholds. And then defensively, I've said that the Brennan Staley model, the Vic Fangio model of pass first, pass always defense, run game afterthought, like try to bait them into the run. That's the future. Um, you're going to see that. You've already seen basically. You're probably going to see that next year. You saw, I was going to say you year. saw him go to the Chargers. You saw, gosh, the other guy go to the Packers. Like there, it's that scheme is already proliferating around the NFL. So that's obviously going to be more pervasive. And I think with the success of it, you'll see it get continually more adopted. So I think that is also the wave 
on the defensive side of the ball. To learn more about schemes, I, I, anyone wanting to learn more about scheme, I always recommend Chris Brown, Smart Football on Twitter. Either of his two books. Both of his two books. Actually. Yeah. That's where I would love. I always buy the Nike Coach of the Year Clinics football books that are basically just football clinics from top head coaches in college football. Those are always very interesting, helpful for whether it's either coaching points or just new schematic advancements. There's You don't have to buy stuff, though, nowadays to go learn about football. There's a ton of clinics just online. Now, obviously, clinics can be a little bit in depth, and that's why I say I'd start with the smart football books because he really presents stuff in a approachable manner. I've learned a lot from him just in my own writing in terms of how to write about the game. He really is gold standard for talking about that excess no stuff. That is smart football, and then there's the other one. The what are the two titles of those books? Oh, it's Art of Football, football. and then the the Art of Smart No Smart something like that. I forget the other name, but both those books are good. Just look up the Chris Brown books. Yeah, all right. Essential Smart Football. The Essential. All right, this is now the last podcast the question here, and then we'll jump to the interview with Peter Schrager and then the interviews with Justin Hilliard and Dylan Radins. Make sure, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, drop it in there. It's going to be sweet uh, to get your question answered. Last one here, this is from Sydney G. Love the show. By far the draft, best draft podcast out there. I was wondering what you guys thought about day two options for the Steelers. I'd also love a free draft guide because I'm poor. Hmm. Same. Did you give them free draft? I, it's hard to say. I, I've lost count at this point. Well, okay, so that picks 55, A7. I'm going to assume they go off and tackle at 24 just because shit, they have to, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what it's going to be. So everyone wants to give them a running back to, I think Javante Williams is on the board at 55. By all means, you can take them then. Make a play. Highest grade in the draft class on gap runs. A lot of what they're going to be doing there in Pittsburgh. He's great at it. So him, I got no real handle on the day two cornerback class and where but third round, 87, is where I'd like to start making a play. Like I said, I don't love these day two corners. So kind of that's where I'd like to take a chance on some of the guys we would call day two corners. Trey Brown of Oklahoma comes to mind as someone who physica the physicality, plays with the type of physicality you'd, you'd like to see in a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform. So there you have it. Javante Williams to Pittsburgh on day two would be sick. I think he goes higher than that 55 yeah, pick, but that would be sick. That would be sick. All right, that's going to do it for the listener mailbag episode. Let's go ahead and now jump to the interview with GMFB's Peter Schrager. Now joining 2-4 Drafts is Peter Schrager, host of NFL Network's Good Morning Football, also airs Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. 7 when PFF was in the office, we had that on every single morning. Good Morning Football is on every single morning in the PFF offices. Hope you know that. And also, Peter is uh, going to be a part of NFL Network's on-location coverage, finally on location there in Cleveland for the 2021 NFL Draft from April 29th to May 1st. You can follow him on Twitter at pschrags, P-S-C-H-R-A-G-S. Great to have you on the show. Oh, it's awesome to be on, and Austin, I appreciate it. And Mike was on our show last week, and yeah. was great. So it's fun to do a little home and home here. Now I'm in your world, and I appreciate being a guest. Definitely, man. It's great to have you on. I definitely love the the Good Morning Football hits Mike does. I think you make fun of his hair every single time. He can't believe you cut uh, not me. You cut off not the me, mop, bro. <laughs> can, can you tell Pete why yeah, you cut it off? Why'd you cut off the mop? Uh, laziness. 
pure laziness. <laughs> like it just takes a lot of effort to maintain that level of hair long length. So there you go. All right. Well, we're going to break down your mock draft a little bit. Talk about some of the, the key picks you have here for NFL.com. It is your first mock draft. This is what you're hearing 1. right 0. now. All mock drafts are fluid. Mock draft is largely an exercise. You're more of an insider than we are, but very much an exercise based off what you're hearing. The first pick I'd like to discuss is you have the New England Patriots trading up from 15 to 4 with the Atlanta Falcons to grab Justin Fields after the other three quarterbacks go. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones. I have that in my latest mock draft. I think Fields to New England, if they can find the resources to go up from 15 to 4, is the best case scenario for them. You have that there as well. Yeah, so to your point about the mock draft being fluid, I go about a little differently. When I do these mock drafts, I am on the phone for weeks at a time. I wait until after the combine and wait after free agency's first wave, and then I'll put together something. And that first mock draft, it's not gospel. What it is, is it's my best insight. It's some names you haven't seen elsewhere. And then I put it out there, and what happens always is my sources will start texting me and being like, hey, Dolphins aren't going to let this guy slip past set. You know, you start getting information and that helps inform you. So it's almost like the first mock draft here. I'm putting chum in the water. Mm-hmm. Let's see what I get. And then it's going to be fluid. And next week I have my second one. And then the day of the draft, I put a third one out. So let's say this, for example, I put New England moving up. Look, New England has been so aggressive this entire offseason. I think it would be it would be out of character at this point over the last couple of months for them to suddenly say, okay, we're good. Cam Newton's our quarterback. Let's kick back. The way I looked at it was they've got the 15th overall pick. They're not high enough to get one of the top quarterbacks, but they're probably higher than they ever expect to be again. They expect to be competitive and be drafting in the 20s and 30s over the next few years. Whether or not we believe that or not, that is their philosophy. So while they had the 15th pick, I said, let's move up and do it to a place where quarterback is not the selection. That would be Atlanta. I don't think Atlanta's taking a quarterback at four. I think they'd be looking to trade back. The question is, what would the compensation be? And also, does New England love the fourth quarterback on the board? And in this case, I threw Justin Fields there. But I'll be honest with you guys, that's from no insight from the Patriots. That's nothing about fit or anything like that. It was, he's not on. He's not been selected yet. I've got three others taken. Quite personally, I think Mac Jones would be a much better fit in New England than Justin Fields. So I, I'm of the agreement with you that the Patriots will be looking to move up but I have a theory that no one wants to be the team to give the Patriots their next quarterback (laughs) that no one's going to be trading with them do you put any credence to that is that a crazy theory on my end or do you think you know Atlanta Falcons obviously lost 28-3 the 23 Super Bowl you have other teams that could possibly trade up with them that you know have a history there does anyone want to be that team to give Belichick his next QB it's a great point. And I think a team like the Dolphins would never, right? Division yeah. rival. I, I think a team like the Broncos, who, you know, are in the conference and have this rich history as an AFC power, they probably wouldn't. But you start getting to a team like Atlanta and you say, well, 28 to three, and here's another. And it's like, eh, it's a kind of a stretch. And then you start thinking about Detroit and you're like, eh, Cincinnati. Yeah. Like, I, I think that if these Not real teams proud can, histories there of winning. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. The to Cincinnati was the one there. Um, but if you can. I guess in a way, like just find something that you think blows you away. Quarterback is such a premium and the Falcons know that. So if you're sitting at four and there's this quarterback and teams coming up, you better take them to the woodshed and take not only this year's first round pick, next year's first round pick, another first round pick. And I think that would be the case. If Atlanta wants to trade that pick to a quarterback hungry team, you got to pay the premium to get a quarterback. New England might be mortgaging their next few drafts to do so. 
Mike, take your tinfoil hat off. Okay, the New England that's not going to be what happens. I do think that if the New England Patriots offer number 15 overall, two future first-round picks, I mean, it doesn't matter who, if it's Bill Belichick on the phone or another team, I think the Atlanta Falcons would be smart to trade back. Another pick I like to discuss, it's been, you know, Twitter has dominated the conversation around what the Bengals should do at number five. How do you best support, how do you best develop Joe Burrow in year two? Is it taking an offensive tackle like Panay Sewell of Oregon or Rashawn Slater of Northwestern, or do they get him a weapon, specifically his weapon, his weapon from LSU, Jamar Chase, who obviously had that outstanding season in 2019. You have them going Jamar Chase. How much are they mulling over that decision right now, or do you think they're locking into the weapon? Are they locking into a Pitts or Chase or Smith at five? Yeah, it's interesting. So I put Chase in there because I heard that Burrow's going to have some input, whether that's true or not, and I figured, well, he definitely would want him. And the feedback that I've gotten, not particularly from Cincinnati, is that truly this is up in the air. And if Pitts is on the board, Pitts might be the pick over Chase. And then I said, well, what about the offensive tackle? I said, well, that's always a possibility. Remember, they did sign Riley Reef to a big contract this past month. And that one was kind of like, okay, well, uh, maybe they addressed their offensive line. I would say this. I would put one of four players going to Cincinnati. And it's obvious that the four are, but it's Sewell or Slater, however you rank them, Pitts or Chase. And it depends if Joe Burrow really wants his voice heard if that's even the case, he might even say, you know what, Jamar Chase is not my guy. Like, I, I give me Pitts. I watch Pitts on film, and he's better than Chase. But I'm curious to see how it plays out. But I can tell you guys, as of right now, we're doing this in the second week of April. I can tell you Cincinnati does not have them stacked yet. I know sources in the Bengals organization, and they're open to a few. I would say those are the categories. Offensive tackle, the tight end, or the wide receiver, it just hasn't been decided yet. Let's go to the next pick there, Miami Dolphins. At number six, they moved back up from 12 after the trade with the 49ers. Curiously, the exact same day, giving up a future first rounder. I think everyone sort of penciled in whichever weapon was on the board there, whether it's Chase Pitts being the guy to give Dutua Tungabailoa there. But you have them going Rashawn Slater, mm -hmm. the Northwestern offensive tackle. Tell me what I guess you're hearing in the thought process there. Got slayed for this too. Got crushed. And not <laughs> just from um, people around the league saying that's ridiculous from Dolphins fans who took it as a personal insult that they would <laughs> welcome to the club man. Tackle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, last year they took Austin Jackson in the first round and they got the big boy hunt in the second round and those guys played okay I mean they played fine I, to me protecting Tua is a, is a priority so I did this I put this out there I said Rashawn Slater and again Slater and Sewell right now they are interchangeable many many teams have Sewell over Slater a few have Slater over Sewell I don't know what the Dolphins have but I put offensive tackle and said Look, two was a lefty quarterback. You put Slater at right tackle. You're protected. Here we go. Um, the response around the league, and this comes from a lot of different teams, that they did this whole maneuver with the idea of getting Chase or Pitts. And that's how I'll probably change this moving forward. Um, I just, for Brian Flores to come from a Patriots situation, for Chris Greer, who's been so crafty, to do all this maneuvering. I don't, it seems way too chalk to say, all right, and then they're going to go take Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. But, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe chalk is exactly what they'll be doing. And I'll tell you this, no one knows what Miami will do until they make the pick. Last year, I had from good information that they were not in on Tua. And this came from people who thought they knew Flores and thought they knew the thinking. Not only were they in on Tua, they were all in on Tua. And they took him, and they apparently had made that decision months earlier. So be careful when you hear, oh, we're hearing this, the Dolphins are doing this. No one really knows. Those two, Flores and Greer, they keep it really close to the vest. You know, what's interesting with the Dolphins, though, because of how many quarterbacks are likely to go in the top five picks, they can't really go wrong. You know, you go get yeah. a Penesel, you can go get Slater, you can have Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts. One of those guys is going to be there, very similar to Cincinnati. So they're in a good position. But regardless. do you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to counter, do you think they got a little cute with this? Because I've been getting criticized because I keep on saying, I call it cute, that like, you had the three pick. 
all right, so you trade back, you trade up, do all these things, get to six, but God forbid, you know, you had Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts as your top two and they go four or five. Yeah. Well, then you had the three pick. You could have gotten one of them. I, I get a little curious when you start being precious about, well, we picked up a third round pick here. We got a future first round pick. At some point, you'd like to see them just take the best player and not get too cute. They had the third overall pick and they traded back. I, I think it'll all work out for them. I'm sure they've got their their method to their madness, but you can never predict what's going to happen in picks four and five because those two teams, Falcons and Bengals, are complete wild cards. That's the thing is I don't know why they had to do it when they did it. Because like you said, if, if Pitts and Chase are gone, well, then you're getting Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, and who could be on the board at 12, though? You know, those two guys could have been on the board at 12 if you're really locking yourself into a wide receiver or a weapon, so to speak, in this draft class. So, yeah, that one... The timing was really head-scratching. I, I think I agree with the move they made to pick up the two future first-rounders to go from 3 to 12 because they were not in on this quarterback yeah, class. Yeah. But where they got too cute, to use what you said, is is trading that future first-rounder to go back up to 6. That's, I think, when you're not in this quarterback class, trading a future first-round pick for a non-quarterback, a less valuable position, that's where I think they maybe got too cute, maybe too overconfident in their own evaluations. Another, another pick here I wanted to talk about is Devontae Smith. He falls to number 16 in your mock draft here. Are you? What are you hearing from the league about Devontae Smith, how they view him as a player? Do they see him as a top 10 lock like some, you know, some analysts do? Or is he a guy that could fall as far as 16? It's not, a, it's not an indictment on him. It's on the position. It's like you know, year after year after year, we see these wide receivers taken uh, in these mock drafts as top 10, and then we get to the draft, and Jerry Judy's not a, a top five pick. He's going 12, and CeeDee Lamb's going 17, and mm -hmm. Ruggs is going 12, and Judy's going 15, sorry. Um, I just don't know if Devontae Smith being the second or third wide receiver off the board is going to go top 10. I love the kid. I don't think the size is as big of an issue as others are making it out to be. But I, I would be surprised if he went top 10. You know, the Giants pick at 11, and there's a chance that Waddle and Smith are both on the board. That would make sense. They haven't had that young wide receiver that they've drafted in the first round since Odell Beckham. Um, but I, I don't think it's a slam dunk that Waddle or Smith get drafted in the top 10. And I do believe Jalen uh, Jamar Chase will be a top six pick. So 2019 was kind of a very good wide receiver class that all got pushed down because I think the history of the position like you were mentioning there, that teams didn't really want to draft those wide receivers. And then we saw guys in the second round, like DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, just hit the ground running. Last year, similarly, no one went early, but then there was a run on them kind of in the mid to late first round. How do you see this year's wide receiver class similarly talented, maybe if not more so? I think you just said right there, you see them getting pushed down from the early positions, but then but do you think there's going to be a I run see that I see that Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk run. In of, the middle, okay. Uh, uh, Kadarius, uh, Kadarius Tony. I think that guy might go top 15. I think he might even go before Smith. I mean, wow, the stuff my. you're hearing about him out of Florida, he's so tough after the tackle, and you can use him in that Debo Samuel way. Another name that keeps on popping up um, that I'm getting texted about because I put him in the first round. They're like, good thing you did that. That was smart. Was Ron Moore out of Purdue. Only five foot eight, though. I, I don't know where that fits in in a first round makeup. Um, and then Bateman's a wild card out of Minnesota. I know one team texted me and was like, he's not even in your first round. I go, I know, and I mess up. And he's like, I don't know if he's a first rounder. He might slip out of the first round. So there are a lot of different guys, and it depends on your preference. Elijah Moore, the kid from Ole Miss, might be a first round pick. But I would say, as is a typical year, five to six first round picks. But I would think Jamar Chase is your tier one. Waddle, Smith, and then I putting Tony based on what I hear, your tier two, and then your Rondell Moore, your Elijah Moore, and your Bateman as like tier three.
Gotcha. That's interesting. I think a lot of analysts are higher on Tony than maybe PFF is. Going to finish with this one, man. Really appreciate the time, Peter. Make sure you follow our tw- uh, Peter on Twitter at PShrags. Um, last one, Davis Mills, round one, pick 32. Shook, shook some people up, man. There's some people who have some takes on Davis Mills, the former five-star out of Stanford. I think in, in PFF's draft guide, Mike Compton to Matt Castle. Really good timing. I think he had the quickest time to throw. Here's a stat for you, Pete. Quickest time to throw of any quarterback in college football on non-RPOs and screens. So he is getting the ball out quickly. He processes very quickly. And I think that's what people are going to like about him. People are going to like that he stays on a schedule and can execute. You have him going 32 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What's your thought on that fit? And and what are you hearing about Davis Mills from the league? Yeah, and Mike, you you made that statement on our show. And I got a text from a front office executive when you said it and said, uh, PFF knows what they're talking about because this guy gets it right out (laughs) of, of his hand. And I put him in the first round. At 32, and I got a lot of hate for it because it's not what they need, obviously. Quarterback's not what the Buccaneers need, but what do they need? Uh, you know, Blaine Gabbert will likely get signed back. Um, Ryan Griffin might be back, but like the back, what's the plan? What's the plan for Tampa Bay? So this pick, I'll be honest, it has nothing connecting Davis Mills directly to the Buccaneers. It was the quarterback position. It could have been Kellen Mond. It could have been Kyle Trask, but I think Davis Mills makes a lot of sense. Two injuries, that obviously is a giant red flag, but only played seven games uh, last year. You know, doesn't have this great board. It's a developmental project. And I think at 32, Buccaneers not having a ton of needs and pretty much set at the roster, throw it on the wall. Take a quarterback. Let's see if he can learn from Brady, and who knows, maybe he passes the torch three years down the line. Fantastic stuff, Peter. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks again. Appreciate the work you guys do. It's it's not always glorious, but it's so helpful for all of us. And really, I thank you for your opinions and also all the analytics and numbers that we do reference all the time. First time getting Peter on the show. We'll have to get him back on maybe after the after the draft or closer to next season. All right, jumping to interviews with former Ohio State linebacker Justin Hilliard and former North Dakota State offensive tackle Dylan Radins. Let's get it. Now joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is former Ohio State linebacker and former Cincinnati native. Went to St. X, Justin Hilliard. Justin, great to have you on the show. Yeah, glad to be here, man, for sure. We were talking before we recorded, and I was asking for some food recommendations. People who listen to the podcast know I I rave about how bad Cincinnati food is. Your number one place is Skyline Chili, and I have a problem. I can't get on board. Let's (laughs) go. I tell you what, the first first time I had it, like when when you just hear Skyline Chili, like, beans on top of noodles like it sounds terrible but have you have you had a three-way with cheese i have not so you haven't you haven't even had a three-way you can yeah <laughs> you're right you I know. Can't, yeah, you can't even <laughs> it just doesn't look good it do, even the commercials exactly. it's like i don't want to eat that <laughs> that's one of those things they should not in the commercial they should never show the food it's just people just <laughs> just living <laughs> like like all the best food like all the best food restaurants in the world never show the food in the commercials um exactly so so what exactly is your go-to order at skyline i know a lot of people have like their go-to order what's yours i'm thinking a three-way dry when you say dry it's like they soak up they get rid of all the extra juices and it's delicious <laughs> no just a three-way regular sauce i don't like this some people get the four-way with beans but just three-way I get a chalita with spaghetti inside, so it's like a little burrito with spaghetti. It's like a three-way inside of a burrito. <laughs> it's next level, man. It's so it good sounds to put next level. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested. Oh, the, I'm very interested. The podcast listeners who have never been to Cincinnati and then therefore no, have no idea what uh, Skyline Chili is, and then hearing spaghetti noodles and a burrito, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm sold." Ooh. That sounds fantastic. It All is, right, well, let's go is, ahead. Enough food. Enough food discussion here. I want to really start with. Um, 
kind of kind of talk about your journey at Ohio State. Former five star, <laughs> obviously went to St. X. Had I think what over thirty five scholarship offers. Had your choice of litter man. Every blue blood program in the in the country wanted a piece, and you you also made the decision to go to Ohio State. You said you were born in Cleveland, but lived pretty much your whole life in Cincinnati. You know what went into that yeah. decision to go to Ohio State first? Yeah, it was a long it was a long process, man. If you would have asked me my freshman year what team I would would have chosen, like. Without a doubt, I would have said Ohio State. But you know how recruiting is. You start getting, you know, letters from Alabama, Coach Saban, and different schools. I think that all that went out the window. And it's kind of funny. Once my brother started going through recruiting, um, I was kind of introduced to all the coaches. And, you know, Ohio State never offered them. So when other schools, maybe I got closer with other schools um, that I did with, with some others like Ohio State, then I was like, I don't even know if I do want to go to Ohio State. And then, you know, I went through the process did all my visits and it was like it was so clear once I started doing all my visits it was like Ohio State to me was just so different how the players acted you know how the coaches acted yeah Easy I mean, decision. Mike and I were talking about it it's like you you know where do you want to go if you had the choice of any college in the country I always lean west coast because I'm from the west coast but when you think about going to a, like a town like Columbus or Austin Texas where the entire city is just like behind you like the entire city is like this is the program this is like the only thing we wake up for it's it, it's got to be pretty impactful so obviously in your time at Ohio State you battled some injuries man and I'm sure Mentally and physically, this had to have been an absolute grind, an absolute grind for you to kind of overcome these mentally and physically and get back on the football field this past season, put together a career year for Ohio State before you enter the draft. But walk me through the recovery for two torn biceps, and I think what was it, a torn Achilles or a torn ACL as well? Torn Achilles. Like, torn Achilles. Two no, torn biceps no, and a torn Achilles. That, that's insane, long, man. man. Never, never, never had an ACL, but I had damn near oh. every single other injury. I'm going to knock on wood yeah, for you, Justin. Wood. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm going to take the blame for that one. Yeah, um, damn. So walk me, through the, walk me through the recovery, man, of all three of those injuries. Yeah, so my freshman year, I kind of went through that. I was getting redshirted. Um, was practicing and then I think like second week I, I tore my meniscus but I didn't get an MRI at the time so I kind of played through it and then at the end of the season found out that was torn and then when I get to spring ball finally healthy after the meniscus tear my um, first bicep my left bicep that's automatic six month rehab and then finally get to the next season I healed up in six months rehabbed ready for next season finally getting back on the field getting some momentum and then I tear my right bicep so, I mean, literally, like, the first, like, two years out of Ohio State, like, I was pretty much out, you know, due to injuries. And, honestly, that was, like, the hardest. Like, if I look back at my journey, that, like, that two years was, like, the hardest um, of my life. I feel like after that, like, once I had that mindset change after some of those injuries, um, I feel like once I got to the Achilles injury, like, maybe, like, guys were probably thinking, like, oh, it's over. But, honestly, like, my mindset at that point was – you know, at a place where I don't think any any type of injury could have, you know, stopped me at that point. But, yeah, those first two years were honestly, yeah, just just so tough. Man, I, I, I feel for you, bro. It had to have been so difficult to – I mean, obviously the physical process of recovering from that kind of stuff is insane. Yeah, Six that, that, bicep, bicep tendons hurt too, by the way. I, dude, like, I, every, I, everyone, <laughs> everyone says Achilles tendons hurt. Like biceps – like those bicep tendons like hurt. Well, you definitely have the experience, man. I don't think anyone can tell you different. You've torn both toe, torn biceps in both arms and obviously the torn Achilles overcome a ton at Ohio State. Let's get back to your game, though. Let's talk about, you know, this past season. How, you know, what 
what went all into this season, obviously the first for, first fully healthy season for you at Ohio State, mm-hmm. did you kind of expect going into this year, even with, again, and this is your best season, COVID-19 impacted, you, the Big Ten was canceled, and then it came back. Like, adversity comes easy for Justin Hilliard. You've seen a lot. <laughs> that is just absolutely bonkers to me, man. But what, what was some of the feedback from teams you've gotten so far on this past year? And honestly, that, you know, just, um, you know, the 2020 season of, overall. Yeah, I think the biggest thing and the biggest compliment I've got is honestly just the way I, I play the game. I've always, like I said, after those first two years, when I was had those injuries, I had like a mindset change. Literally, you know, because I've been away from the game for so long. I was like, anytime I get on the field, you know, I'm just going to have as much fun as I can and try to, you know, add as much value. So literally, if I'm in on a kickoff rep, I did kickoff even up to, you know, this year where I'm starting playing 70 reps a game just because like my mindset's always just add as much value as I can. Um, so I think the biggest compliment, the biggest things I'm hearing is like whenever I step on the field, like, you know, you'll see me like running like a madman every every single play. Yeah, I mean, I think in the draft guide here at PFF, your biggest strength is hit sticking. That's uh, obviously a Madden reference. But you do when you turn on the film, I think you see someone who just is going to go 110 percent into every single tackle. And I think that obviously stands out on film. Do you feel like that is kind of something that separates you in this class? Or what do you think? Put the scouting hat on for me. What do you feel like is your biggest strength or biggest separator in this linebacker class? I would say that I I, I do watch um, a ton of film and I say that because I feel like a lot of guys, you know, can't play at that level for a whole game or can't play at that level for 70 plays or don't do special teams. But I think and also a big, big, the biggest thing is, you know, my versatility. And I think even my athleticism, I think if you turn on the tape, um, you're going to see a guy who, you know, can cover tight ends, can cover any tight end, can cover um, wide receivers in some formations. And um, I think my versatility speaks for itself. I can play inside. I can play outside. And, I'm, you know, I was playing pretty much at times a safety position at 235 pounds. So, um, you know, I think I was able to show off that versatility. Have teams talked to you about where they want to play in the NFL? I'm sure different teams see it different ways. You have that versatility, though. You could play, you know, in the box. You could play maybe even, um, you know, close to the line of scrimmage as well. Something I thought about as well. But what have teams said about your game and where they want to play you at the next level? Yeah, for the most, honestly, the most one I'm hearing is probably playing inside, um, maybe at a micro wheel position. I've heard some talk of um, maybe a Sam, but um, yeah, it's been it's been kind of all over the place. But like I said, I'm I'm open to playing anything. I want to talk a little bit about some of the other linebackers coming out of Ohio State this year. Pete Werner and Baron Browning, two guys that, you know, obviously PFF is also high on coming into this draft class. But give me the scattering report on both. Give me the on-field and even off-field. If you got any good stories about the both, I would love to hear that as well. Give me the, the scattering report for Pete Werner and Baron Browning. Yeah, Pete, Pete and Baron are like, if anybody asks me, like, they are the real deal. Like, they are certified. Like, they're, they're the type of guys. I think Baron's more of the guy um, – you know, he, he can do things that I don't think any any linebacker <clears throat> maybe in this class is capable of. I think his athleticism speaks for itself, and he plays with the tenacity where he's going to, you know, it shows up on film where he's trying to, you know, blow someone's head off. And he's a, he's like, off the field. He's that guy. He's that lighthearted guy, I think, kind of keeps everything, you know, loose and, you know, good spirit. And I think Pete is a guy – Pete was – Pete was – um when he first came in, he was – um, you know, rising on special teams with him just to, just to see his journey has been so cool, man. And over the years, starting to see his confidence like skyrocketing and play at the level he did. I would say Pete's a guy who's, um, you know, always just, you know, pretty, you know, always pretty steady. He's uh, if if it, there's anyone on the field, you know, I probably want on the field with me just as far as like he's, he's fun as hell to play with. He's he's always got energy on the field, um, you know, always communicating. So, yeah, Pete's my guy, too. And tough. 
we have I think right now we have I think Tuff is also one of the biggest leaders um you know on our defense this year he's a guy who so smart so intelligent his football IQ is like off the charts and um you know having one of those one of those guys on the team is you know so instrumental one more Ohio State player I'll talk about with you before we get back to your game is uh, Trey Sermon a, a guy that a lot of people see it people are sleeping on a guy that comes off the board, maybe day two, day three, that can come in and be a 200 touch, 250 touch running back. What was it like going against Trey Sermon all the time in practice? Yeah, he's a beast. Yeah. I don't think it's a secret that he's a beast. I think in practice sometimes, you know, when we're going against guys, like maybe we can't see um, how a running back's going to run because obviously they're not able to finish plays in practice like they are in games, but just in practice, I can see the way he worked to see the way he, the preparation he put in each week. I'm like, this guy's going to, like it's going to show up sooner or later. And I think at the end of the year, he, you know, he started to really was able to show off, you know, his, his running ability. That man runs angry and he finishes mm -hmm. runs. I think if you have a running back back like that on any team that's finishing runs, man, it just gives your team so much momentum and confidence. And um, I feel like he was that he was one of those plugs later in the year for sure. Yeah, I mean, it runs angry, finishes run. I think the other thing that comes out for me is just contact balance. I mean, that guy just doesn't go down on first contact. It's 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 fun to watch, very fun to watch. Going back to your game, I'd love to get an inside look at you know what you do in terms of preparation in a given game week. When you're putting on the film for a certain offense or a certain opponent, what are you looking for from a keys and tendencies perspective? How exactly are you preparing on film? Yeah, so like each week I kind of have a, um, like a set routine. I really don't want to go. Um, too in-depth with it might take a long time but usually like after a game on Saturday so maybe Saturday night Sunday I'm just watching the game making sure um, I corrected all the mistakes from last game and then Monday um, Monday is all, all watching just games all the way through the next week's team so I'm not watching any cut-ups I'm just watching games all the way through trying to get a feel of their offense and then Tuesday we usually get the game plan so I'm reading the game plan and then also you know starting watching cut-ups so 11 personnel 12 personnel runs passes not worrying about any third down and then we get to Wednesday Wednesday's all third down we're worrying about my third down and then what we're getting on third down based on down and distances and then Thursday and Friday I'm going back to well Thursday I'm at a goal line that's when we do all our goal line stuff <clears throat> excuse me and then I'm going back and watching all the games Thursday and Friday again all the way through and then by the time then I feel like I'm able to you know guess the play based off the tendencies you know I've already learned back in the in the week but usually honestly I feel like at the sand position, I was able to tell so much just um, solely off the tackle, tight end, and running back. Um, yeah, there's formation tendencies, um, but I feel like once you know the formation and the alignment of the tight end, running back, and tackle, you know, it tells so much. And how has that film preparation or film study kind of changed in the offseason? Have you had a lot of opportunity to go back and watch that 2020 season of yours and can kind of critique your own film? Or have you spent time watching guys in the NFL, maybe linebackers that you pattern your game after? No, it's been a mix of both. I think, um, yeah, after every season, I go back and watch my POAs um, all the way through. So I know exactly, well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore, but I know exactly how um, each team was attacking us. I know how Alabama was attacking, attacking our cover threes and, um, you know, how Clemson was hitting those short screens and different things like that. So um, as far as schemes, I think that's only going to make me, you know, a smarter football player. And then I know, obviously, the things I need to work on, I know, over this next transition, my biggest focus has been, you know, focusing on my eyes and reads of getting back and playing inside because, I mean, I've been outside for so long and the feel is a little bit different. So that's been my main focus. And, yeah, I've also watched a, a ton of NFL film, film just to get a feel of those defenses too. Are there any guys in the NFL, like specifically linebackers, that you feel like you can pattern your game after or learn a lot from turning on the film? 
Yeah, I love watching, I think, 2017 Luke Keekley film. I think I watched probably every single game of that season probably three times over. I think he's just – I don't think necessarily I play like him, but I think the way he plays, the way he's able to see things, and, I mean, you literally watch him on film. He's grabbing guys and throwing them to the right spots and calling out plays and literally running to, like, a play before it's even snapped. I think that's just something – you know, I always want to work to. I don't think I play like him, but if there's someone I love to watch, I think it's um the Buccaneers. I think Levante David is a guy I kind of, I want to say compare myself to. He's a guy when he sees a hole, he shoots it. He's super aggressive, can cover. Um, yeah, he's, he's a do-it-all guy. Luke Keekley is also a St. X guy, right? Is he from Cincinnati? Yeah, he's a Cincinnati guy, Skyline guy. That's right. He's a big skyline guy. We're gonna have to get we're gonna yeah, have to get Luke <laughs> gonna have to get Luke on the pod to see what his skyline order is. How many Cholitos or whatever the hell could he put down? Uh, what's fu- that's funny, man. I, one of my buddies actually went to St. X with um, Luke Keekley and said Luke Keekley ended his football career. Uh, I think he like shattered his collarbone or something in practice. It was kind of rough to see. But um, side it. comment: Luke, Mike Renner, the podcast co-host here, has also played Luke Keekley in cornhole in Cincinnati and beat him down. I'm not sure if uh, that's his game or oh, not. Really? But, nice. Yep. Well, let's go ahead and, and finish here, man. I really appreciate you setting aside the time. I like to finish the interviews with kind of this question, which is a fun one. But you know, what exactly is your motivation or your why as you kind of continue to like make the sacrifices you do to to play football, to play in college, and obviously pursue a career in the NFL? What is your motivation? What's kind of driving you know that push, that consistent you know pursuit? And talk about a pursuit, man, overcoming all this adversity. What kind of keeps you going? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is like. Well, I think what was able to get me through those injuries, first off, I don't think I even said it yet, was, you know, just set my goal so high. Like, I literally, from my, the time I got into high school, I always viewed myself as, you know, being the best linebacker in the country. So, my freshman year, I was actually on our – I was third string on our freshman team, and I still viewed myself as being the best linebacker in the country. Everyone looked at me crazy. And then, you know, by the end of high school, I was, you know, that top linebacker. And the same thing in um, college is – I'm just setting my goals crazy high and just, you know, reaching for those. I think that's honestly what motivates me. It's just being the best linebacker, you know, in the country. And I think another thing is just having fun with it. Like I've, there's been years where I've been away from football so much to right now. It's like literally every single rep that just, you know, just means so much to me is honestly just the greatest time ever. So just having fun with it, you know, valuing every single second of it. And, you know, I'm always going to be striving to be the best linebacker in the country. Fantastic stuff, man. Really appreciate the time. If you ever do make your way back out to Cincinnati, I'm happy to have Skyline with you. I will try a three-way with you if that yeah, if that's what I, has to happen. I'll, I'll make your order. <laughs> that sounds perfect. That sounds perfect. Thanks again, man. I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. And how has that film preparation really changed in the off season? You know, what, what have you been looking for on film? Have you watched a lot of film on yourself? Have you had opportunities mm-hmm. to watch film on NFL guys at all? Yeah, so a lot of it, yeah, it's critiquing myself, uh, getting myself ready and stuff. And this offseason uh, has been way long because uh, I only was able to play one game. So, uh, yeah, it's been watching a lot of NFL guys, watching a lot of those good college guys before the Senior Bowl. I was able to watch a lot of those uh, Senior Bowl invites and uh, just being able to analyze those guys and uh, dissect it. I mean, you always watch NFL film, but uh, dissecting it with an NFL coach or with Joe Staley has been uh, uh, awesome to learn their perspective. I'd be interested to know more too. You know, you talk about you know what you're doing in a given game week and, and, and what you do in the off season. How much you know the mental side of it comes into effect? Because obviously, being an offensive tackle, you see the same player over and over. There's kind of a game within a game going against the same guy, trying to set up different moves and those types of things. You also get into the mental side and, and talk a little trash. I've talked to a handful of pass rushers that say they like to play that side. Some like to let their game talk. Do you ever kind of get into that part of it? 
Um, if I'm going to do trash talking, I'm going to be funny. I'm not going to ever go attack somebody, uh, throw them off, basically kill them with kindness. Uh, and that way, that way I'll throw them off and be softening them up a little bit. Uh, cause ultimately, uh, you make a guy mad, uh, he's just going to run at you harder. So, uh, you just try and stop him up if I am going to talk trash, but yeah, most for the most part, I'm just gonna, uh, just gonna let my game do the talking, uh, play mind games with them. Uh, it's like chess, not checkers, just, uh, kind of dance around them. Don't have to go through the guy. Are there any tackles in the NFL that you watch a ton of, or, and, and are there guys that you like to kind of pattern your game after? Um, yeah, so I watched a lot of Bakhtiari. He's obviously been great these past few years. Um, Taylor Luana has been huge. Uh, beginning of my career, I watched a lot of Joe Thomas, uh, just his vertical set and all he did. So uh, just some of the greats there, some of those guys that are were in that 295 pound to 310 range, somewhere in there, just uh, guys that were similar to my size that I, I could try and emulate my game after. I'm going to have to bring up Trey Lance here. Trey Lance, obviously one of the top you know, quarterback prospects in this class. I'm not going to ask you, you know, what type of leader he is. You know, what does he eat for breakfast? Get into this dissection. I'd love to know, though, obviously having spent time with him at practice and off-field, I'm sure. Give me a good story, maybe a practice story or whatever, about Trey Lance. It's kind of a microcosm of his character. Yeah, um, I'd say uh, the first game he played, or I should say the first game he started as the quarterback against Butler, uh, there's that long run he had. He lowers his right his throwing shoulder right into the defender and just plows him over. And even later on in the season, he did it a few times. So I remember after that play, we go to the sidelines and the coach is like, "You can't do that. We need you to throw the ball. We don't want you to plow him over." And uh, it was just kind of funny just watching the guy get a 60 yard rush and the coach are like, "This guy's a freak, but we need him to throw the ball." So it was just kind of shows you that uh, yeah, he's gonna get the job done no matter what. He doesn't uh, have a regard for his body. It's all about a team game for him. So. He's going to try and uh, put the team on his back as much as he can and uh, uh, score uh, or get his, all those yards that he can. Um, doesn't really matter if it's going to affect him or not. So That's awesome, man. We can finish with this one. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of prospects, and I love asking this question to close. Is, is you know, What is your motivation or your why to continue pursuing this game, to continue to play, you know, make the sacrifices you need to make to play in the NFL? Yeah, um, big why for me is just uh, it, it's a platform and you can help a lot of people. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for the fans. So uh, being able to give back in the community is going to be a huge thing for me. And uh, obviously, I love the game. You love uh, uh, beating people. You love being competitive, stuff like that. But uh, like I said, the biggest why is just being able to have the opportunity to help help people with this platform and be able to hopefully have a positive effect in some people's lives. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now joining the 2-4-1 Drafts podcast is Florma for former Florida cornerback Marco Wilson. Marco, great to have you on the show. Good. Uh, thank you for having me. Of course, man. Let's, let's start with the elephant in the room. I mean, you had an absolutely absurd pro day for Florida. Really put yourself on the map in the conversation for being one of the most athletic, pure athletic cornerbacks in this class. Obviously, former four-star recruit, you had that athleticism dating back to obviously high school, but I'm interested to know, man, what all went to that pro day? What was some of the feedback you got from NFL teams? Key takeaways, highlights from that pro day there at Florida? Um, I, I, I got some great feedback from teams that I, I did a good job at the pro day. Um, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thankful that I was able to go out there and crush it like that. Um, I, I for sure prepared um, as hard as I needed to, to go, go out there and do that for the past three months. Uh, training in Arizona, I just was really focused um, and trying to make sure I can hit all the all the numbers that I need to at my pro day to make sure that people understood the athleticism that I, I, I have. And, and were you training with Exos there in Arizona? Yeah, Exos. Nice, man. Very cool. Who were some of the guys you were working with out there? Not not athlete, uh, not trainers, but athletes. Who were some of the people in your group? 
Uh, I had my good friend uh, Pat Satane and Elijah Moore out there with me. Then I had um, Greg Newsom, DiCaprio Budo, Caden Stearns, um, Brady Breeze from Oregon, Darren Hall. It was, a, it was a huge group. A lot of a lot of great guys in that group. Man, man, Patrick Sertan, another athlete in himself, also went to American Heritage. Like you, were you there at the same time as Sertan and uh, Tyson Campbell were there? Yeah, yeah, I was there. Dude, what the hell? American Heritage, that defense, that secondary had to have been absolutely absurd. You, Sertan, Tyson Campbell, I think you guys won what? Back-to-back state titles there, or not state titles, yeah, state titles, I think, in high school. I need to hear more. Give me some stories about the Sertan, Tyson Campbell, Marco Wilson trio at American Heritage. Just how dominant was that football team? Uh, I just feel like I feel like there was no secondary ever to be better than uh, that one in, in high school. Um, and the crazy thing is, we also had we also had uh, another guy who was really good called Will. Allen. His name was Will Allen, um, and he played in our slot. Um, and then the crazy thing is, also like sometimes on like third down or special uh, special packages, we'd have Anthony Schwartz from Auburn mm-hmm. to play free safety. So our secondary was our secondary was crazy. Um, That's like, insane. We just had the confidence to go out there every week. My dad was a DC, and we we're, we're going out there covering man with no man, basically the whole game, one high the whole game, uh, with no issues and just locking everything down. So your dad, Chad Wilson, also played at the University of Miami. He was the defense coordinator, but also wasn't Patrick Sertan's dad the head coach? Yeah, yeah. What the? I mean, I'm, uh, there's there's cheating going. I'm calling cheating. It's not technically cheating, but it doesn't feel fair to have that much bloodline, that much success, or that much talent really at one high school. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, in, in addition to kind of talking more about your background, obviously your brother, uh, former University of Florida cornerback, drafted in the second round by the Colts a few years ago. How much has he played a part in this pre-draft process for you? Obviously, a guy that's been through it, and he was even through it when it was a little bit more normal, not COVID nineteen impacted. There was a combine. There were these things. How much have you worked with or talked to your brother? about this pre-draft process? Um, I've talked to him a good amount. Um, he's very helpful. Um, it's, I'm very thankful to have uh, an older brother who's been through this process before me. So I, I don't go into any situation um, con- really concerned about anything or, or uncertain or I have questions about anything because he's he's helping with all of that. Um, and I feel like that's really been a – I play that to my uh, advantage um, because not everyone has that um, re- reliability um, to talk to somebody um, that they're a family member with. Um, that's literally been through the same thing that they're doing. So, so I'm pretty happy that I can do that. Very cool, man. In, in, in the interview process with NFL teams, what have been some of the common questions that you've got or you know, common feedback that you've received from NFL teams? What do they like about your game? Where do they want to see you improve? I'm interested to know the feedback that you receive from NFL teams. Uh, they, they like um, my technique. They see that I'm, I'm a really good cornerback um, when it comes to my press technique and stuff like that. Um, probably could just improve on on um, zone coverages, which I agree um, as well. Something I would work on moving forward for my game. Um, but the interviews interviews have gone really good. That's good to hear, man. That's good to hear. How have you? I'm sure you get a lot of questions about the the shoe throw, which I think, from a swagger perspective, I still can get behind. You know, I do like I do like the swagger of you know the shoe throw. I like the 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 brava gravitas that it brings. But how have you approached that question? I'm sure teams have talked to you about that decision and overall, just like you know that approach and and all that stuff. How have you approached that question? Uh, well, I just I just answer it. I mean, exactly how it is. I mean, I. I tell them that it was a mistake, um, which it was, um, and I, I learned a lot from it. I mean, clearly it's not it's not who I am. I'm not a, a guy who has bad character. I'm not a guy who's a me guy because I, I see a lot of people saying, oh, he's a me guy, he doesn't care about the team. But, you know, it was just something that just um, – it was a reaction out of being hyped up. I mean, it's a, it's a high-energy game. Um, made that mistake, and then it's not something I would, I would ever do again. Um, and then if you watch my tape or anything 
Um, for the past three years of me playing at Florida, I've never had personal personal foul penalties. So it's not something that I'm personally concerned about um, with my character. It's just that mistake happened. Um, and you got to move forward from it. And, and I honestly do think that that's the best response to it. It was a mistake. We can admit that now. But in the moment, I think what it does show, if you're going to skew it positive, which, I mean, that's what we're looking at here, I do think that shows the passion for the game in the heat of the moment, how hyped up that game was. That was one of the most absurd games in college football this past year with a, a roller coaster of emotions, man. I don't um, I don't blame you for it. I definitely think it's a, it's a mistake, something you can learn from and so forth. Looking more at kind of your play at Florida, I'd love to hear more about how you approach each game week and what you do specifically on film and the practice this week leading up to a specific game what you look for on film what tendencies you look for in a receiver or an offense and all that goes into that film preparation and overall preparation for a game if you could peel back some layers here and and, and um tell us what you do and look for on film as you prepare for an opponent well basically through the week um i like to break down i, I mean i watch the receivers um one by one individually like look at the targets so just to see what they do well um, and then uh, also through the week, I'll break up between first down, second down, red zone, two minute, um, high red, low red, um, and look at coming out, like if they're backed up on their, on their own end zone. Um, look at all these things. I break these things down and film, look at their formations, look at where certain people are lined up, um, look at any mannerisms from the, from the quarterback or receiver on certain pass plays. Um, sometimes I read, I look at how the, how the, um, the old line is moving for certain run plays and pass plays, so just in case I need to read run pass throughout the game. I'm um, looking at stuff like that. And how has that kind of film preparation changed or film study changed in the offseason? Have you had a lot of opportunities to watch tape on yourself, go back and watch film from Florida, or even watch tape uh, on guys in the NFL? And if so, who are some guys in the NFL that you like to watch? Oh, I love I love to watch, I mean, uh, Darrell Reeves is my favorite corner. Um, I, I always watch his film. I like to watch Denzel Ward. Um, and Jair Alexander, I like to watch those guys. Nice man. Not not to mention your first corner thing I've talked to that didn't mention Jalen Ramsey. I'm sure you've watched some Jalen Ramsey, but oh yeah, I yeah, I've seen Jalen Ramsey. But the thing with Jalen, like he's a he's uh like he's a bigger guy. He's um, big. Yeah, and I, I like to I usually like to watch guys that are like around my size because um we, we would have similar gameplay. But Jalen Ramsey, he's a, he's crazy. He's a great cornerback. Who are some of the you know best receivers that you've gone up against, or you tip your cap to in a way over you know the three years playing at Florida? Uh, definitely say um, Smitty from Bama. He was really good, uh, along with the uh, guy across from Mechie, um, Elijah Moore. Of course, he was really good. Um, uh, I forget his name, but this past year, number seven from Georgia, he was a freshman, but uh, he was pretty good. Uh, um, was Mark Chris Callaway from from Tennessee was always a, a great matchup. Those guys, those guys stand out to me. And when you're approaching, what I find interesting, specifically about the cornerback position, I think receivers as well, pass rushers versus tackles. There's a game within a game. There, you're seeing the same guy a ton. You're going against you know the same player often. And uh, there's almost you know, especially as you play a ton of man coverage, if you're in you're in press a ton, there's this mental side of it, talking trash, getting into their head, and doing these types of things. What's your approach to the mental side of the game? How do you play that side of it? Do you try and get into people's heads? Do you try and play you know the mental trash talk to your advantage, or do you kind of stay silent, let the game talk for yourself? Yeah, honestly, I rarely talk trash. Um, I may say a thing here and there, like if someone's continually to just talk their head off. Yeah. Uh, but I, the main thing with me, I like to I like to just stay quiet and just handle my business. Um, I feel like that bothers people more. Um, if it's sitting here trying to talk, and then if they, especially if they can't get open on you, and you're just not saying a word, I feel like it frustrates them even more. 
Are there any receivers that come to mind that just live and breathe talking trash? I've been trying to find someone who lives and breathes it. The only guy I've found is J.C. Horn. J.C. Horn said, yeah, I talk a lot of trash. <laughs> J.C. Horn talks a lot of trash. But I'm interested to know if any receivers come to mind, guys that just like consistently move that lip. Uh, I'd probably say Shai Smith from uh, South Carolina. Nice. South Carolina. It sounds like those South Carolina boys talk a lot of shit. Israel Mukwamu. I've heard Israel Mukwamu, J.C. Horn, and now Shai Smith. It sounds like those boys are those guys are getting after it from a tra trash talking perspective. Um, some some other things that I would love to ask you about is 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 you know PFF sees a lot of you know strengths in your game. Obviously with that athleticism, that just like raw ability to play the position. You have rare traits. That goes without saying. Obviously with this pro day, that's a key strength for you. That movement skills, the athletic ability, the speed, all that stuff. Do you feel like? That's really what separates you in this class. Do you feel like that's that key strength that's going to put you above other cornerbacks in this class? If not, what do you feel like really separates you among other corners in this class? Um, I feel like, yeah, that, that creates um, a great amount of separation. But at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of people who are athletic. I mean, almost everybody in the, in the NFL is super athletic. Everyone's an athlete. I mean, they're there for, for a reason. Everyone's talented. But I feel like um, my technique, especially my press technique, is something that I'm really elite at. Um, and, and just my preparation for the game, uh, I feel like it's something that really is the, the two things that really help me stand out um, from other corners and, and other people in this job. Awesome, man. Well, we can finish with this. I really appreciate the time and I ask you know, all the prospects I talk to this question because I find it interesting. It's, uh, you know, what is your motivation or your why to kind of continue to pursue, you know, this, you know, pursue this as a career, obviously making the sacrifices you need to make to play college football, to train at the level you do, to pursue a career in the NFL. What is your motivation, your why? What keeps you going um, uh, on your pursuit? Um, I feel like the only motivation here is just me. Uh, the motivation is within myself. Um, I I, I'm playing this game and, and doing these things because I, I enjoy the competition. Um, I find it very fun. And, and like my main goal in my life is just to be happy in anything I'm doing. And this is something that makes me happy. So that's something that, that keeps me going. Um, and also, I just I just like to make my family proud and um, be able to just uh, be on the big stage and, and be able to um, rep my, my family name. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. Appreciate you. And we are done. A loaded episode. Peter Schrager, Justin Hilliard, Dylan Radens, listener mailbag. We can't stop over here. Big shout out to everyone who drops in their questions on the mailbag. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to get your question answered before the draft. Until next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, producer David Sofaro, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 drafts.